0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is...
1: Britney Spears and the Free Britney Movement.
0: Who is Britney Spears? Well, she's a globally recognized superstar, multi-platinum recording artist, and someone who's had a very public battle with fame. She's also someone who may or may not be in control of her own life. There are claims that this 38-year-old adult woman is not allowed to own a phone or drive a car. Rumors that her father ruthlessly controls her every move circulate through the back alleys of the internet. But are they true? Is Britney Spears, one of the most famous people on earth, being held against her will? stronger every artist who has been successful has had one personality trait in common hubris any individual that looks at the long lines of professionals and beloved artists that come before them and said i can do that but better has had a healthy sized ego my glasses are fogging up because i'm so hot this is how I'm going to die, like, I want you to know that.
1: It's like every week I get to peer into the Russian sleep experiment.
0: But you get in some weirdly gray areas when discussing the ambition of children. Are child actors doing this from their inborn desire to succeed, essentially from birth? Or is it really something darker that their parents are pushing on them to sacrifice their childhood onto the altar of career with a capital C? It's impossible to truly have an answer to this question. However... The Spears family definitely serves as an example of what ambition can do to a family unit. The defining struggle of every artistic pursuit is the delicate balance between artistic ambition and commercial reality. This intersection is where most people spend their entire lives. Some find it a comforting discussion where they're aware of the realities, and others find it a prison, a lonely island filled with a lack of understanding and confusion. For Britney Spears, the crossroads of commercial viability and artistic evolution had a simple name, sexuality. A base desire. Her entire life would revolve around this aspect of her physical being. And it arguably broke her. But we'll get to that. I don't
1: I don't want to undermine or make light of the serious subject matter that we're talking about right here now, but it is criminally negligent that you put the word crossroads into this sentence. (laughs) <laughs> and you did not.
0: And I didn't make,
1: make a crossroads joke. Make any kind of reference or joke or pun about that.
0: Uh, I'd be lying if I told you I I didn't realize that, and I kind of felt like it would be really hard to thread the needle of making a crossroads pun and examining the fact that this poor woman has been exploited for her sexuality for like thirty years. I didn't put it in there because we're trying to be serious about some shit. This poor woman is exploited. She's being exploited. You're
1: right. But
0: it's an elephant in the room. It is. Is it an elephant or is it an albino snake or is it a caged tiger?
1: I think it's a futuristic, sexy flight attendant in the room.
0: A camera is many things. It can be a tool in the culture war. It can be an act of rebellion. It can be a means of disseminating information. It generates evidence. It captures a moment in time, documenting it for all eternity. These records can be used for a myriad of purposes— But in the case of pop music, they have one singular shining goal, to turn the talent in question into a highly sought after commodity. The siren's call of a life filled with money and fame and love and big houses and fans has done in legions of young, would-be musicians. They beg the camera to love them, they gyrate and writhe in front of its lens, begging it to transform them into a saleable good. Cameras are the ultimate weapon of capitalism. They use light and color to present a hyper-reality that, if you, the viewer, spend enough money, maybe someday you too can be the same way. And this was the goal of an entire movement of people in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Teenagers from all across the country flocked to Florida, the epicenter of the boy band slash girl group craze. Every one of these wide-eyed, definitely not-yet-adults had one simple message beating through the Morse code of their heartbeat. Commodify me.
1: We've talked about this on the, the first time we talked about it was on Andrew WK. And then we talked about it again on Jared Leto. And uh, this is, this was like a, this was like a weird theory or just thought process that kind of went through my mind, like super late at night one night, probably while working on the Andrew WK episode. Uh, and I think I like texted this whole thing to you. So we, we we talked about that and it's weird how this episode kind of culminates or terminates that thought process that we kind of began. Because I think, you know, with this whole discussion of the weaponization of the camera, I think that this period in the in the late 90s, early 2000s was a was a big turning point in the role of the camera in celebrity. Obviously, being on camera, being a movie star, being on TV, Getting on the news, all these kinds of things—they've always been sort of ingrained in culture and society as this like kind of thing that you want to happen or you want to do, and it's something special whenever it happens to you. There was a, there was like a, you know, my, through my entire childhood, there was always this almost like this weird urban legend or this folk tale about my grandma that she was in this movie called Dressed Gray. As like an extra, like it was all like it was a thing that always came up, like oh your you know your grandma was in this movie, she was in the background, and I always wanted to rent the movie and see it and like find her. And my mom always kind of said like oh you, you can't see her, like or for whatever reason. I never actually watched the movie. Uh, I saw it at the at the video store and stuff like that. And just this idea that like being in a movie, you know, now you know in my current life, it's like who gives a fuck? Like everyone's been in a movie as an extra. It's just like a it's just like a fucking. It's just like a blue-collar job that you can get. But uh, that's always existed. But I think pre this period, and it was kind of like the intersection between this girl group, boy group craze, the sort of beginning of the canonization of reality television as a thing that people wanted to watch and were aware of. I think pre this time, you wanted to be on camera because of the result of it. You wanted to be a movie star You wanted to be a TV star. It was about the thing that it represented. I'm on camera because I'm, you know, going to be in this movie or I'm going to be on TV or whatever. And during this time and post this time, the camera kind of took up this whole other role in the celebrity narrative, or the, the the, the meta of celebrity, which is like just the act of being on camera is the desired goal. It's not that you want to be in a movie, you just want to be on camera, you want to be a persona, you want to be seen by people, and that evolved into sort of the world we live in today where obviously there's still movie stars, but even movie stars are like influencers, you know, all these, you know, all all the people in Avengers, they have Instagram pages and they post all this stuff on there and they have all these fans that they interact with directly and uh, you know YouTubers and all this stuff it, there was the shift away from the camera facilitates celebrity to being in front of the camera is being a celebrity
0: yeah it's interesting cuz you know you had you had brought this up specifically in in connection with the 90s late 90s early 2000s and i i had been thinking of something similar but distinctly different in that you know since i travel a lot for comic book conventions I end up seeing people who are kind of either relics from a bygone era or who had their moment in the sun and are now kind of just contently retired or, you know, the cast of the original Battlestar Galactica or Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers or, you know... uh, Burt Ward from Batman and Robin, the 66 TV show, whatever these people who kind of like, they don't necessarily have careers anymore. um, But they do these fan circuits, you know, these convention circuits, because they get to interact with people, it's fun. And also they get to be appreciated. And also low key, they make money off of this process. And it, it got me thinking about the camera specifically in this context, because the thing that's so fascinating about the celebrity convention circuit is that you're making a commodity out of the fact that you used to be a commodity, which is just such a weird postmodern thing. Like, you know, at San Diego Comic Con, you go up to that top floor, and it's all celebrities in air quotes, you know, celebrities, it's all former wrestlers, it's all people from horror movies that you remember, where they literally might have been in one horror movie, like, you know, a bunch of the Friday the 13th people, you know, camp camper number seven, George, or whatever, you know, that they, they were in this one thing, that's what they're known for. And they've basically lived just a, a great normal life where they've had children and been successful, you know, maybe you're a dentist or you're a lawyer or you're a teacher or whatever, but you have this one kind of weird brush with this larger industry that our culture um views as as better than the rest because it's it is so linked hand in hand with the act of commoditization. Like that's why so many people aspire to be actors or you know, work in Hollywood because we live in a capitalist society where we place commercial viability and the act of making money above everything else. And if you can be seen while making money, that's even better than making a lot of money. Um And so it, it's the, there's a lot of both of what you were, what you were texting me a couple of days or months ago, whatever weeks ago, whatever it was when you started texting me. And then a bunch of those kind of thoughts that were kind of going through my head when I was writing this, where it was kind of, Both of those data streams kind of lining up and forming this discussion of informing this discussion of Britney Spears.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that it all kind of came to this because this wasn't planned. Like we didn't didn't know we were gonna do this episode. It's another episode that we've been talking about since before the show started, but it was kind of kept in the back pocket. Kind of like NWK. Yeah. Yeah, And then like I, I didn't I never thought that this was A subject matter that would be in the wheelhouse of this show like I would have like we talked about it and it was like there's this thing I don't know if this is like anything we'd ever talk about but there's this thing and then I think slowly the show kind of like shifted in a direction of slowly moving further into a Venn diagram to where this this story kind of became a deep cut story yeah But we've been talking about it for a long time, but we but we never planned on doing it until literally recently. So it's interesting that we talked about that stuff all that time. We've been discussing this concept for for a couple months or however long it's been. And then now we've decided to talk about this story and it kind of punctuates it. A little bit,
0: and also uh, didn't uh, wasn't there a listener that pushed us over the over the ledge on? Oh yeah, yeah, finally yeah. Yeah. Doing this? yeah,
1: I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna mention it at the end, but it doesn't matter. We, we talked about this idea back when it was like a weird little like fringe thing that was only talked about in like the deepest depths of the you know free Britney movement part of Twitter. And then what finally pushed us over the edge is that a listener reached out the day that we were talking about potentially doing it. Mary underscore Barks uh, reached out to us and suggested that we should do this. And I was just like, well, got to do it now. So thanks. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Mary. If that is indeed your real name.
0: Brittany Jean Spears was born December 2nd, 1981 in Macomb, Mississippi. She's the middle child of three. Brian James, a film and television producer whose smattering of credits are directly linked to projects involving either of his more famous Spears siblings, and Jamie Lynn Spears, a child star turned homemaker. Brittany grew up in Kentwood, Louisiana, and had a normal childhood, or rather, she did until people figured out that she could sing. In an interesting wrinkle to what would ultimately be a career based on the fetishization of her sexuality and initial sexual piety, she was born in the Bible Belt and baptized as a Southern Baptist. As a young child, she sang in church choir and quickly... Dave, I,
1: I, I you know, the, the interesting thing about that is, like,
2: is it that interesting? Is that, like, a contradictory detail? Have you ever... I don't, even, I don't know that it's a contradictory detail, but I feel like it's it is
0: a it is a defining characteristic where it, it kind of makes sense of like if you're raised in a very specific environment well yeah no you swing i'm swing to the that, other side
1: of it that's i i guess i i what i'm saying i'm exa- i exactly agree with you i guess i was saying like it's not surprising as I, I guess i thought you were framing it as like this is a surprising thing that she came from such a conservative place and yet you know she's being put on display for her sexuality like, cuz i think that's i think that's exactly spot on Like I've not that I didn't already know this before that I'm kind of well aware of American culture and, you know, the culture of sexual repression and that that exists in our in our country. But, uh, you know, going on many road trips across the country, I've driven uh, from L.A. to Chicago and back multiple times, um, plus tons of other random road trips, you know, up north to the Pacific Northwest and down south and stuff. And when you're driving through. The flyover states, down you know, in the in the southern area, and then you know some of those some of those middle of the country states, Nebraska and things like that. You start seeing more and more frequent the the like adult bookstore billboards and the adult sex shop billboards and the porn store billboards, and it's like you get you get deep into Texas, you get deep into you get deep into the heart of Hawaii. Yeah, you get you get deep into as Arizona, you get deep into Texas, you get deep into like you know Louisiana or any of these places and it's like it feels like every mile there's a fucking like porn store billboard and it's it's like it's very it's it's like this weird dog whistle of the like amazing amount of sexual repression that goes on in a m- much more religiously conservative state
0: i think the the main reason that i included that is that because she works with her family that's what's so interesting about that because yeah, there's a lot I mean, of I, there's a lot of people that work in industries that are polar opposite from how they were brought up there's very few people that do that under the watchful gaze of their direct kin yeah and i think we'll
1: talk about that later whenever yes it gets brought up again
0: her father james jamie spears was involved in construction or building of some kind his internet presence is that of a ghost which is really true like i i didn't I mean, you know, there's stuff about him being an alcoholic and yeah. them growing up in a trailer park together and kind of being lower class people or whatever. I feel like there's a there's always a really weird classist thing that happens whenever celebrities that elevate themselves from poverty reach, you know, the kind of like pinnacle of our culture or whatever. It's there's a really strange way the media covers it where they always kind of like, yeah, they're famous and rich and successful and smart and beautiful now, but they'll always be trailer trash or, you know, like this really, really strange classicist.
1: The nouveau riche.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, it sucks. Yeah. But other than that, you're right. The, like the, the most substantial piece of information I found about Jamie Spears, other than the later on stuff is that uh, allegedly He was an alcoholic.
0: Her mother, Lynn Spears, born Lynn Irene Bridges, was a grade school teacher and a daycare operator. Spears was enrolled in dance classes as young as age three. She excelled and gained notice of the local Kentwood, Louisiana pseudo-professionals. She landed a few small recital roles and began making a name for herself. At age eight, Brittany and her mother Lynn traveled to Atlanta for an audition for the 1990s revival of the Mickey Mouse Club Ultimately, young Spears didn't make the cut because the show was casting for tweens and teens However, casting director Matt Kinsella introduced her and Lynn to Nancy Carson, an agent in New York City Carson suggested that Spears be enrolled in the Professional Performing Arts School Quickly thereafter, Lynn Jamie Lynn and Brittany moved to New York Is Jamie Spears bankrolling this? How does this work? How, like, it, it that's the thing that's so str- interesting about this specific juncture in their, their lives of, like, the mother and the two daughters move to New York City to pursue this dream. Jamie, which is also really con- confusing because mother's name is Lynn, father's name is yeah, Jamie, I was, I was literally and the just, kid's name is Jamie Lynn. Like, was, come on, guys. I was
1: literally just going to say before you – I was going to make the joke and then you kind of got off on this. But I was going to say, imagine if we had a kid together. And his, my dream and my his, dream and his name was well actually this joke doesn't even work because that's because it's yeah, literally <laughs> your name <laughs> yeah, his name was david andrew dave andrew which is just that's what my name is surprise motherfuckers my name's david too
2: <laughs> the kayfabe is real the ultimate kayfabe you thought my name was andrew that's my middle name bitches <laughs>
0: It's it, you're you're not even a real person. I'm just sitting here talking to myself, doing both voices yep. <laughs> for all these episodes. Yep. But yeah, it's really strange that there's all these recurring names in there in their family orbit. Like James is another one because Jamie's real name is James. And then her brother is named Brian James. And then Jamie Lynn marries a guy named James.
1: Yeah. And then uh, and then one of Britney Spears uh, sons is named uh, James, 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 James.
0: That's true. Kevin Federline's real name. Kevin Federline is actually an anagram for James James. Yeah. <laughs> no, but for real, it's 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 really weird. Like this there's I don't know what it is, but there's something going on with this time period. Either they had a break or he just paid for them to do this or a combination of those two things. Um where he stayed in the south, you know, in Louisiana and they moved to New York to pursue this and he bankrolled it because there's no way that Jamie Lynn had enough money from her middle school teaching job to bankroll this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you got to wonder with some of the stuff later on with Jamie Spears and what ended up happening with their lives and the fact that he kind of ends up becoming her manager and sort of like the the CEO of Britney Spears as a product. You know, maybe he was at back then being like, "Ah, yes." you'll turn into my little cash cows. Like, I don't know. Maybe.
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. During this time, she honed just, her a, chops just,
1: to- just like, oh. just, just like the shitty, well, the more shitty, lazy version of Joe Jackson of just like, I'm going to turn you all into cash cows, but I don't want to actually do anything. Can you just take them to New York? I'm going to hang <laughs> out here.
0: During this time, she honed her chops appearing in small roles and, an understudy in an off Broadway musical titled Ruthless. At age 10, she appeared as a contestant on Star Search. In ward, Louisiana, here is 10 year old Brittany Spears. <laughs> She also appeared in a number of commercials. In 1982, having made a bit of a reputation for herself around uh, the Hollywoods, Britney Spears was cast in, wait for it, Mickey Mouse Club, appearing alongside a murderer's row of future A-list talent. Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Gosling, Carrie Russell, and J.C. Chazet. (laughs) One of these things is not like the other. And a little tiny Dave Baker. That's true. That's true. I was also on the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, I'm the least successful member of the Mickey Mouse Club. Bite your tongue. Um.
1: (laughs) We are the hosts of Deep Cuts, the show where we take you through the ins and the outs and the nitty gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function.
0: Yeah, what the fuck is Ryan, Ryan Gosling doing these days? He ain't hosting a podcast. Unfortunately, <laughs> but, but, but think about it, right? She's like, whatever, 10, 11, when this, 12, 11, somewhere in there, when the show gets picked up and it's worked. Like they did it. They, they gamed the system. They worked hard. She showed up at every audition, all those dance classes, the singing competitions, the endless rejections, which has got to scar adults, let alone a fucking eight year old child. Like, people constantly telling you you're not tall enough, you're too short, you're not blonde enough, you're too brown-haired, your eyes are too far apart, they're too close together, your nose is too big, your nose is too small, your nose is too wide. All of that shit pays off. She gets on... Your scorpion jacket looks dumb on you. (laughs) Your hair looks like ramen. (laughs) Uh, sorry Justy Timbo I love you But she, she, they do it right They make it all the way to the Fucking top and then unfortunately This show in 1996 Was cancelled and Britney Returned to Mississippi do M-I-C you
1: am- See you next time K-E-Y Why Because young audiences in the 90s Did not resonate with the Mickey Mouse Club Variety format in the same way that they did With the show in the 60s
0: can you imagine though the level of defeat that M-O-U-S-E. that was? I just can't even I can't imagine making it all the way all the way up and then having it just be like a breath of air, just one single gasp and then it's just over and having to go back to your shitty town in Mississippi and go to middle school again and
1: Yeah, I mean that'd be so surreal. That'd be that'd be crazier than,
0: you know, like having a f- one-hit wonder or 15 minutes of fame or whatever. Yeah. She had done it. She had climbed Mount Olympus, only to be knocked back down. Childhood fame is as fleeting as childhood. Was Brittany's taste of the good life over? It seemed so. She lived a normal life for a time. Years later, when asked about it, she replied, It was like the opening scene in Clueless, with all the clicks. I was so
1: bored. I was the point guard on the basketball team. I had my boyfriend. And I went to homecoming in Christmas formal. But I wanted more.
0: That was a good performance.
1: I mean, I am Britney Spears.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you are.
0: You are Britney Spears. In June of 1997, Britney was approached by Lou Pearlman, famed shady pseudo gangster of the music industry, to join his girl group Innocence. Which I know you can't tell because I'm just saying this to you, at you, but it's spelled in no it's sense. spelled cool. In no sense which means these people don't have any sense. Yep. It's spelled super late 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Uh if you if you're unfamiliar, Lou Perlman was a complete piece of shit uh and he was like I said like a almost literal gangster where he would he made a ponzi scheme basically uh where he pretended to have all these businesses and construction contracts and um private airlines and all of these crazy things. And he would build these boy bands and have these boys come live with him in his, uh, in his mansion and um, basically became like a star maker where he, in air quotes, discovered Aaron Carter, Nick Carter, all the Backstreet Boys um, in sync. And they all, he had them all in these draconian contracts where because of the time that they lived with him, They owed him money for rent and food and dance classes and all of the costs that he fronted. And so at the height of the boy band craze, they they collectively sued Lou Pearlman and got out of their contract with him. And it's a crazy, uh, a, a wild story. And if you're interested, there's a documentary that Lance Bass produced, which is on YouTube that you can find. Um, he produced it as a YouTube original. Pretty yeah. interesting.
1: He was basically like the American version of Simon Cowell. Except for Simon Cowell either didn't horribly exploit the groups that he created, like the Spice Girls and Five and stuff, or he did and he just didn't actually ever get caught for it.
0: Which is probably that one. Yeah. The Spears family reached out to Larry Rudolph a family friend and entertainment lawyer, for his thoughts on the contract that Luke Pearlman had offered them. After hearing Britney sing, he said, Don't sign this contract. Britney is a solo act. He then procured an unreleased Tony Braxton song and helped the young singer record a demo. Rudolph then shopped it around, believing that Spears was the next big thing. Two record labels passed immediately. They weren't convinced, and the prevailing logic of the day was that people wanted groups sync, Backstreet Boys, Spice Girls, and so on. Jive Records, however, they were interested. When asked about his initial impression, Jeff Fenster, SVP of A&R at Jive, said, It's very rare to hear someone at that age who can deliver emotional content and commercial appeal.
1: For any artist, the motivation, the eye of the tiger, is extremely important, and Britney had that. And I think that's totally true. I mean, whatever you feel about Britney Spears' music, or this kind of music in general, you see that star search video and you know definitively she has some kind of x factor that like just it's just a Im- it's just palpable like oh there's something different about this person and it's not even necessarily explicitly talent it's not like oh she's such a good singer that therefore she should be a star it's like this overall thing of like personality that's put forward stage presence it, it's 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 an unseen x factor
0: Spears performed an in-person audition comprised of her singing Whitney Houston's I Have Nothing and was immediately signed. From here, after a hot second where a label flirted with developing her as a pop country artist a la Sheryl Crow, Britney was whisked off to Stockholm, Sweden, where she recorded the majority of her debut album with producers like Max Martin, Dennis Pop, and Rami Yacoub. How amazing would that be if we lived in the world where Britney Spears was like, a Taylor Swift like teen country singer. It's yeah. so it's so wild that they were debating just taking a completely different approach and I mean I guess she has the background culturally to do it. I mean te- I guess
1: technically I feel like she's more she was she would have been more authentic as a country western singer than Taylor Swift.
0: Yeah, whose dad is like a investment banker, right?
1: Yeah. Uh but but yeah, I mean but this has happened before. I mean, cuz that you know like Katy Perry, she was originally like a she started out as like a Christian contempt or not contemporary, like, like a Christian like acoustic music singer. Ah. And then this. and then like rebranded as the, you know, the I kissed
2: pop a girl whatever. And I liked just, it. Yeah, mainstream
0: pop or whatever you'd call it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. After returning to the U.S., Britney embarked on a grueling shopping mall tour. She would perform a mini four-song set at malls across the country until finally being picked up as the opening act for InSync.
2: Here so we two-
0: go. There's two things I want to talk about here. Here we One,
2: go. One more time. Everybody's feeling fine. Here we go now. <laughs> there's two things I want
0: to talk about there. One, the idea of... Signing, you know, you you come off this TV show that you thought was going to be really successful, it wasn't, and then you sign with a record label, and you're like, "Yes, this is it! I've made it! I'm going to I'm going to Sweden! I'm recording with all these cool producers! This is awesome!" And then you come back to America, and you like perform at shopping malls in the suburbs for people who actively don't want you there. Yeah. Is just so soul crushing. Like I can just, I can, I can, one, I can already feel what it's like to stand on that stage and be like, "Hey everybody, thanks for having me here at the Debluth Shopping Outlet. I'm so excited to be here and show you my new song. Oops, I did it again, or whatever the single was that she was promoting at that time. Like it's just, ugh. And then to finally get picked up and be the opening act for In Sync where Justin Timberlake and J.C., she both knew from Mickey Mouse Club, that must have been even more bizarre because now you're like, we're doing it all together. Like, the highs of this, personally, just must have been so wild.
1: The specifics of the story, digging into it, make that story more interesting and kind of crazy in the... I mean, I don't even know if it's necessarily a coincidence. Like, maybe, maybe we just have... We don't have enough knowledge of how insular and and small the music world is that this isn't actually as much of a coincidence as it seems. But, you know, before digging into this and before learning the all the specific play by play details, I always just thought that they were all in the Mickey Mouse Club and then they all just kind of like got recruited out of it. So they were doing the show and then people were showing up and being like, Hey, you kid like like a, like at a at an auction or something like that, like the, the, these two, we want them for our boy band. And then somebody else being like, oh, her, she's she can be a solo person. And so I, to, it, it was it seemed less crazy that they sort of ended up going on to both being in these kind of like girl boy groups, both kind of playing in the same spaces and being on tours together because it just seemed like it was it was all just this kind of ecosystem but finding out that they were on the show and then the show was canceled and then she just like went back home didn't sign the contract to partner up with the people who created NSYNC just took a different separate route with a different record label and then still somehow ended up coming back to working with those guys is very interesting.
0: And it kind of makes it it's very sweet on one hand and then it's also kind of like really, really sad on another because it does make it feel like these people are in some sort of situation where they're either very lucky and they were able to keep their careers going. You know, there's that old adage of getting on is the hard is is the second hardest thing you'll do in your career, you know, in entertainment. That it's staying on that's the hardest to do. And then it's it's also kinda of sad of just like, are these people just like Doomed to be linked together forever, like are they all just like all right you you're you're nine years old or eleven years old on the Mickey Mouse Club, and now you're all gonna be trapped together forever January twelfth nineteen ninety nine saw the release of Baby One More Time her debut album it debuted at number one on the u s billboard top two hundred certified platinum twice. I am fascinated by the the way her songs and records are titled specifically the fact that baby one more time is in pop culture. People call it hit me baby one more time. The song title is dot, dot, dot baby one more time. Yeah. That's such a weird way of titling that song. I can't think of a single song title that starts with an ellipses. Can you,
1: um, not off the top of my head. I'm sure that they exist. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, actually, and Justice for All by Metallica starts with ellipses, the album title and the song title. But, um, the, the there's an interesting story behind that. The reason for that, or at least part of the reason for that, although even with the explanation, I still kind of am left asking myself, like, why did they allow it to, you know, be approved and go forward? But Baby One More Time or even just the full lyric in the song of Hit Me Baby One More Time, that is such a strange lyric. You know, especially the context of like like a teenager singing it. It's like, what does that mean? What does Hit Me Baby One More Time mean? I mean, obviously there's some kind of sexual connotation, but on it, like literally, you know, reading it, it's like, Hit Me Baby One More Time. It's so ingrained in our in our collective conscious. And, you know, we grew up hearing it and it's so normalized but i feel like if you you know if that song came out now it it'd be like what is this weird subliminal reference to like not even subliminal but just totally like blatant domestic violence reference or like it, it's it's a strange thing but the reason why it's called that is because the the songwriter and producer of the song Max Martin he's a swedish guy who barely speaks english and so, yeah. And so, when they were writing the song, he just was like, "Yes, hit me, baby, one more time." That's not a Swedish accent at all. <laughs> that's that was that an Italian accent? Th- it was like, was that was like that was like Italian, or maybe it was like I don't know. But it, yes, it's
0: me, Max Martin, <laughs> well-renowned it was- Swedish it the was swedish music producer hit me baby one more time Yeah, it was,
1: it was dracula that was the ac- that was yeah. the country it was was dracula but yeah he was he's a swedish guy who barely speaks english so he wrote this like word salad collection of english words that to him made sense and i think maybe the reason why they kind of went with it is because at the time even at the time th- this is this was a huge song but even before this he was a huge producer and songwriter. Like he was known as like a hit maker. So I think at this point in your career, whenever you're known as like the guy that you go to, if you want to make a hit single, a hit pop single, maybe people just are like, yep, whatever you say, it's called Baby One More Time. What? There's an ellipses in front of it? Sure. Not. It's not called Hit Me Baby One More Time? No, just dot, 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 Baby One More Time. That's the name of the song. All right, cool. Print it printed onto the CD or whatever. Whatever we do in this time.
0: Well, he definitely was right because it was the biggest album by a teenager of all time. Spears' music video featuring her in a Catholic schoolgirl outfit is a highly sexualized portrayal of the teenager as a would-be pop princess. It was exactly the pop chaos magic sexual Shirley Temple that every would-be performer dreams of. It was the skeleton key to unlocking the vault of commoditization. And it worked Boy, did it work. By June of that year, she was headlining the dot 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 baby one more time tour in North America. It generated controversy regarding her racy and highly sexualized outfits.
1: I don't remember the controversy. That's interesting. But it certainly, I mean, I got to side with the conservatives on this a little bit. Like, I didn't think anything of it at the time when I was a kid and this stuff was out. Like, it didn't seem amiss to me, but...
0: I thought things of it at the time. I was like, hello, (laughs) could I spend some time chatting with you? You seem like a nice person.
1: Well, no, yeah, but I I mean that I wasn't like clutching my pearls as a whatever nine-year-old or whatever, however old I was. But it is, it's fucking weird. It was her ideas too,
0: uh, supposedly. Like originally they were going to do an animated video. And she was she and or her team and or her father, who knows, wanted her to be in front of the camera because they thought she was the selling point. And if it was animated, that would lessen the effect of like I mean, the her, be,
1: her being in front of the camera. Sure. But as a how old was she, 15, 16, like wearing like obviously like fetishized Catholic schoolgirl uniform. Like it's
2: fucked up. Yeah,
0: it's definitely a it's definitely a, a an a specific goal is in mind yeah overnight she became a sex symbol and defined american sexuality for an entire generation her second album oops i did it again was released in may of 2000 selling 1.3 million copies it's sold roughly 20 million worldwide to date she starts on the oops i did it again world tour
2: which once again it's like it's it's so normalized to us
1: because we grew up with this stuff so it's like yeah of course Oops I Did It Again that Britney Spears song but that's so fucking weird it sounds like a
0: made up joke satire of what like a pop song would be called it's also not just oops I did it again it's oops exclamation point dot 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 I did it again exclamation point that's the official title of the tour and the album like alright Max that- what's the
1: what's the next song we, we 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 knocked it out of the park with with Hit Me Baby One More Time. Uh, Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Dot, dot, dot. Baby One More Time. Knocked it out of the park. Hit. Biggest song ever.
0: What do we got next? Oops. Exclamation point. Dot, dot, dot. I did it again. Exclamation point. I don't even know why I asked. It
1: doesn't matter. <laughs> the last one was like the biggest song of all time. My immediate bad taste in my mouth that's left from hearing that is literally irrelevant. Print it.
0: <laughs> I can't even... I. Yes. This same year, Britney Spears released her first book, Britney Spears Heart to Heart, co-written with none other than her mother, Lynn Spears. I wonder who really wrote that book. I wonder, I wonder who typed those words. I mean, probably not her mom either. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I wonder who really wrote Heart to Heart. I, I, they-
1: I like to imagine that it was Jamie Spears. He wrote it all himself.
0: Oh gosh! At a performance at the 2000 VMAs, Britney ripped off her black suit to reveal a sequined bodysuit underneath. Even more sexual imagery paired with ideas of childhood innocence and piety. If you had to sum it up, Britney's sexy baby voice is a perfect synecdoche. And it's it's interesting too because like, "Oops, I did it again" is baby talk. You know what I mean? Like it's it literally sounds like something a child would say. Mm-hmm. In the "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time," literally the word "baby." is in the title also she's dressed as a child with pigtails
1: yeah like they are
0: full they know what they're doing they are full on like hey children you want to fuck them cool like it's so blatant that they're like courting that imagery just over and over and over again
1: yeah, specifically, I've had conversations with people about like, oh, I, Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, I, they're, she's great. I, I listen to her music. I like it a lot. And then they go off on to a whole other reason for why they like Carly Rae Jepsen. And this was back several years ago, you know, when she was younger. Or, I mean, I guess she, that's a bad example because she's actually, she's like 30. She's older than I am. So she was never a child. But, uh, I mean, she was she was a child at some point. But she was. Riley Ray Gibson was just born, was, thirty-three years old. She was produced in a Canadian vat, where all the Canadian celebrities come out. Ryan Reynolds and Seth Rogen—they were all generated in a laboratory. Um, uh, she was never a child as a as a pop singer. But uh, there was other people that we talked about where it became clear that he wasn't really into them because of the music, and it was more about some kind of weird obsession with them as people and Ugh, that's they're, gross. and you know that, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think that the, it's a dog whistle. They're, they're, they're trying to codedly appeal to people like that in a way that's not explicit.
0: I don't even and mask I mean, it I,
1: under the, uh, the well, I mean, they're, they're trying to appeal to a bunch of different people. They're, they're, they are yeah, trying to appeal to other kids as well. They're, they're trying to appeal to younger kids who either, You know, a kid her age that might be like, oh, I have a crush on her or somebody who might be romantically interested in her. That's her age. But there's an added benefit or a secret side benefit of like also creepy dudes.
0: Yeah, it's it's 100 percent. We are going to leverage the male gaze into money. Like, 100%. Britney's aesthetic during this time could basically be summed up as innocent and childlike, unattainable and forbidden, and provocative. It was a new sexuality for the turn of the century. Arguably, there's American culture before Britney and after Britney. The question that I found myself asking throughout this whole writing process is, what does her family think of this? Is this, the marketing of their 17-year-old daughter's sexual viability, something that they pushed for? Do they find it uncomfortable? But... It's just a way for them to all get to the next level. Well, Jamie Lynn Spears, Britney's little sister, didn't take the same route. In fact, her sexuality was her undoing. She was an actor primarily and starred in the Nickelodeon show Zoe 101. She had a clause in their contract that if she were to get pregnant, then she would be fired from the show. And at age 16, she did just that, got pregnant and then left the show and her career ostensibly ended until this year when she landed a role on a Netflix show. Is this the Southern Baptist family from Louisiana secretly super liberal and pro-expression and the capitalist machine ran with it and almost weaponized a teenage Britney's sexuality against herself? I don't know, hard to say. The answer probably lies somewhere between conscious plan and the natural unfolding momentum that was then being capitalized on because there was money to be made. However, One thing is for certain, people were obsessed with Britney's sexuality. It was also around this time that Justin Timberlake and Britney confirmed that they had started dating. Britney insisted, however, that she was still a virgin. This is so creepy to me. Like, this is so creepy that... And we've kind of mentioned this back and forth when we were talking initially about doing the episode. But it's it's so
1: creepy. Not only have we talked about this, but like, I've... I've thought about this outside of this episode or or any I, I've I've reflected on this for a long time. This is one of those things that reminds me of how truly long ago the 90s was. Because I, I think the peop- I think the thing that people don't tell you when you're younger and you have like your parents or your grandparents and they kind of like talk about when they grew up. Um, and to you, it's like, oh, yeah, like even even the 80s felt like a lifetime ago. Um and I was born in the 80s but I don't really remember it. Uh but even that felt like just this whole other world, this whole other era when I was a kid, especially whenever my mom was growing up in the 60s. Um but you know, at the time when I was a kid and she had me, like she was my age, and the thing that they don't tell you is whenever you get older, those time periods that you know when you grew up in your childhood it doesn't feel like a whole era a different era to you it feels still very contemporary like i think back on the on the 90s as just being like not that long ago um and not that different of a time but it really was and, th- and that's just that's just that's just something they don't they don't they don't train you to go through that weird cognitive dissonance of getting older and still kind of being the time kind of being compressed for you and not and since you're experiencing it not really noticing how rapidly everything's changed um but just the idea that they would have teenagers on tv Talking about their virginities. It's, it's, I mean, it was, it was fucked up and weird then. It wasn't less. It wasn't like, oh, it was a different time. Like it was, it was fucked up and weird then. Certainly nothing has changed about that, but it was obviously normalized and more accepted, but that would never happen now.
0: I hope not, but also part of me feels like it totally would happen.
1: Well, the closest that, the closest that i've seen of that still happening and even this was kind of a while ago and i still don't think that this would necessarily even be allowed to happen now but the the closest i've seen to this is in the like earlier like late 2000s the 2008 9 10 area um there was the whole thing with the jonas brothers where they wore, wore their purity rings But that was like, that was an evolution of that. Because back in the 90s, they were just straight up in interviews being like, are you a virgin? Which is fucking strange to have an adult newscaster or whatever. Somebody who's in their 40s, 50s, talking to a teenager on television where other adults are watching and being like, are you a virgin? That's that's creepy just, to a degree that I can't even comprehend. yeah, it's, um, it's repugnant. But yeah. now this there's a, there's the evolution of it where it, it got a little bit more coded. It was uh, oh, I wear this purity ring. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm you know, I'm saving my myself for marriage and and even that's weird, but it, you could see that progression of like, ah, maybe it isn't so kosher to just ask a child if they're a version on national television. So let's go this other route and, like, make it a little bit more about, like, the religion of it and kind of say it in a little bit of a couched
0: kind of way. And I don't know if I've seen anything like that now. I I mean, I don't think I've seen anything like it, but I have no doubt that it will come back. There will be something like this again, 100%, unfortunately. An entire kayfabe work was enacted surrounding her entire preserved piety thing with Justin being enlisted.
1: Another part of the kayfabe, which I, this isn't even from research. I remember this explicitly from childhood. And it was a big, it was a big thing uh, that was kind of a part of the, the, the narrative of Britney Spears was that in her music videos during dance sequences, anytime that there was, you know, her dancing with a bunch of dancers around her, there was a specific dancer who was in all of her videos and and i don't i don't even know if this is true or not this could have just been like an urban legend or it could have been a fake thing you know put out by the record label or it could have just been true but there was one dancer in all of her music videos a male dancer and it was her cousin and he was the only one who was allowed to dance with her and touch her and i remember People talking about that specifically. I specifically remember my cousin talking about that as if it was this positive thing of like, you know, she's so pure. This is an example of that, that in her music videos, even when it's just dancing, like she refuses to let somebody who's not her husband or whatever, touch her body. And so she specifically has her cousin be her dance partner because she doesn't want to let a man that isn't her family member touch her, which is like it, the pretzel logic of that is so weird and labyrinthian and also is, just total bullshit. Of course. If that guy yeah, was even course. her cousin, I don't know, but it's total bullshit.
0: This is all so strange and who gives a shit what teenagers are doing. It's so creepy that any adults have the desire to know what the fuck is going on there. This is similar to how many K-pop and Japanese idols aren't allowed to date or have public relationships because it breaks the illusion that you, the viewer, could be with them. The subliminal messages being, even though she's dating this ramen haired motherfucker, she's not fucking him. She's waiting for you.
1: It's funny because that's kind of flipped now where celebrities all get caught up in this kayfabe of, like, being in relationships.
0: Celebrities will have, and like... And they want, they want to be shipped. Yeah, yeah.
1: and And they'll have, like, fake marriages where it's just two influencers just kind of mutually deciding, like, we're going to be together for six months st- as a part of a joint marketing push for both of our YouTube channels.
0: Mm-hmm. They dated until November of 2002. In February of 2001, Spears signed an $8 million promotional deal with Pepsi.
2: First of all, first of all, why the fuck was Bob Dole in that commercial? Bob Dole is at the end of that fucking commercial. <laughs> also, so, also, that's creepy as fuck. He's like, so, he's like an old man.
0: So I want—I just want to just before we before I read the next part of the script, I just want to visually kind of go through the commercial so that we can accurately unpack the symbolism. So it opens with. Brittany wearing a jumpsuit like a workman's jumpsuit that has a Pepsi logo on the back and a blue baseball hat that has the Pepsi logo on it. She takes it off smiling at the camera and like pulls it down and then we cut to a wide of a bunch of dancers and she it, the, the the suit is on the floor. she turns around and walks towards two bay hangar door doors opens her hands as she's walking towards the door. We're all still seeing this from her her back. And the doors magically swing open. She goes into this hangar, and then she starts dancing with all of these highly choreographed dancers. Only her
1: cousin touches her.
0: (laughs) Only her cousin touches her while they're dancing. And then we cut intermittently between close-ups of her smiling face, flicking hair, her very, you know, obviously well-conditioned, very athletic body to we intercut between that and people in public places watching tv screens with that dance number on it so there's a guy who's a cook at a fast food restaurant staring up at a tv with a mindless zombie expression um he's obviously lusting after her and then there's a a a portly woman with reddish-brown hair who's mimicking her dance moves almost unconsciously, like she's living vicariously through Britney. And with those three intersecting visuals, Pepsi has established that Britney is an icon. Men want her. Women want to be her. Okay, we've got that. We're moving on. Now, Britney's going through more and more elaborate dance numbers that are increasing in scale. She's walking around this factory. There's all these Pepsi things everywhere. And the video crescendos in a sh- in a shot of a close-up of she you know, she starts drinking from Pepsi cans. Everybody's like, "Ooh, Britney, ooh, ooh we love Britney." And like the second to last shot in the video is the close-up of a glass Pepsi bottle. Shooting the cap off of it and Pepsi Cola spraying everywhere, and it looks like a cum shot, like full on, like it's a phallic imagery. The liquid coming out of the phallus.
1: And Dave, if you,
0: if you, oh, and then and then it cuts to Bob Dole, and then Bob Dole's there for it, some reason. Well, oh, because old men, because it, cause it, it, her, her presence revitalizes the sexuality of old men.
1: No, but. N- Kind of, but I forgot about this and I just remembered because I was trying to remember why. I remember that in the late 90s, for some reason, Bob Dole had some kind of weird uh, pop cultural significance for some reason. And in that he con
0: he misspelled potato. Right? No,
1: he and in that context is he was in this commercial. And I just remembered And I looked it up and I'm right. So if you had any inkling or any thought of like you were you are reading into this and and, you know, doing this analysis and there is any level of subjectivity or speculation to it and it's just your own interpretation of it, you are completely wrong because the reason why Bob Dole was in this commercial and said it cuts to him and he says down boy to his dog or whatever is because the reason why he was culturally significant at this time in the late 90s is because he was in a Viagra commercial.
0: Yes, I completely forgot. about. He became
1: that. like a weird meme before memes existed. He became like a weird pop cultural gag. Because he was in this Viagra commercial and then he sort of like got this weird little second wind of celebrity of just being the, you know, the, the, the I'll talk about boners guy. Well, just like just a politician who is an old man, but also he, you know, wink and a nod. He talks about dirty stuff and he was in this Viagra commercial. So that that punchline in the end of that commercial was literally Within the context of the fact that he had become famous for doing a Viagra commercial and it was literally a completely kind of subtle but not subtle at all joke of like I'm I got a boner because he says down boy, but he's talking to his dog, but he was in a Viagra commercial. So he's talking about his boner hundred percent.
0: Yeah, it is. But this is exactly what I'm talking about of like the it is so not subtle. How they're like, she is the commodity, and they're they're paying her to put Pepsi inside of her, both in a sexual way and a literal way. She's drinking it, and then as she's drinking it, they intercut with an exploding phallic-shaped object. We will give you eight million dollars, Britney Spears, to become uh to 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 know Pepsi in the biblical sense. Like, it's just so fucked. It's so And you
1: are, you are the equivalent of Viagra because a man who has to take Viagra in order to get a boner because he's done a commercial where he's a spokesman for it, he watches this commercial and gets the boner anyway.
0: This commercial is a weirdly metatextual commentary on everything that we've been discussing. It's making fun of people who buy into the commoditization, and now it's just harnessing Britney's sexuality and funneling it into the product that you can literally drink. It features multiple shots of people watching the commercial and mindlessly being indoctrinated.
1: Drink Bob Dole's cum (laughs) that he got from some combination of watching Britney Spears dance and also drinking Pepsi.
2: It's so fucking gross. Uh, Also, all of
1: that, all of that, and the fact that, that song is a straight up banger still can't get me to drink Pepsi.
0: But don't you want to drink Britney's sexuality, bro?
1: No, I'd rather drink. Can't, I can't even think of any Coke ad campaign. I'd rather. I'd rather drink a polar bear's cum. Let's
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> see the, the next review. I'd rather drink <laughs> it's Santa Claus's cum. Four stars, but also there's too much polar bear cum. <laughs> Next up, she co-writes another book with her mother titled A Mother's Gift, which is just so funny to me that they keep pretending that they're writing these books.
1: I mean, mean, we'll talk about this later, but it's so funny to me that her involvement in her daughter's life was writing these mother-daughter connection books, and then they ended up estranged.
0: (laughs) Yep. And finally, her third studio album comes out and is released in 2001. It's titled "Britney." For the 2001 MTV VMAs, she performs with an albino python draped around her shoulders and a caged tiger behind her. The imagery here is subtle. Really subtle. The snake definitely doesn't symbolize a penis. And that caged tiger... Definitely doesn't act as subliminal messaging that she's going to be nice and public and wild in the sheets type of girlfriend. She announces she's going to take a six-month break after she stops on her Dream Within a Dream tour, which roughly makes about $50 million. Why would you take a break when everything is working? Well, here's a clip from her team saying she's working on her birthday that lends just a little insight into what she went through.
3: So basically, they got a handle on you know, music, video, promo, any other commitments, photo shoot. And then right. we have the Vegas commitment, right? The third? That's right. There's a day she has her um, yeah. she has album
2: and listening party, which I think is the day before.
3: But, I'm- but, but Jamie, you need to give us the days that she has the kids and needs to be home. I'll take care of the
4: kids okay. and she'll just come in wherever because I'm going to be the one to go stay with the kids. What I need to get to get the job done, I need to get a couple of days, and I don't see them anytime soon, to finish the the choreography on the props before we can actually teach it. The fifth is our last full rehearsal day, right? So five, four, two, right? She can she can work two. Two
3: is Ellen. That's right. Two is her birthday. Is she
2: gonna be okay working on her
4: birthday? Sure. What
2: do you want her to play? No, no, I mean, can she rehearse on her birthday? She's gonna rehearse. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm asking. So we need full day rehearsals for those 9 days. I mean,
0: yeah. right? Oof. Oof. I mean, obviously that's that's later in the timeline cuz she has kids at that point. I mean, obviously um, so-
1: obviously these things happen behind the scenes of celebrities a lot. But just the symbolism of there's like there's a there's a there's a, there's a huge metatextual thing going on here uh where you've got a group of people deciding about her every waking moment of her life. She's not in the room at all. And then it's being televised on, it's it's being broadcast on national television.
0: And her dad's in the corner just being like, nah, I'll take them kids. Ain't no worry about it. She going she to work on her birthday because I'm going to take them kids. And it's going to be good. She's going to be doing all them gyrating, all them hip shaking, all them jiggly bits. going to be jiggling. It's going to be great. We're gonna make some money. Okay, let's make some money. Like that's that's who that guy is.
1: Yeah. That, that, so I guess
0: I, I guess I've answered my question about like how do they feel about this? He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. That
1: scene that that scene almost looks to me like it's like going on inside of her brain, like inside out or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So around this time, unfortunately, Brittany and Justin they break up. Oh no, Justy Timbo, ramen hair in chief. Future future star of the social network and that one movie where people exchange time on their arms. In time? In time. Also
1: Southland Tales.
0: Yes, also Southland Tales. They they call it quits. In December of that year, Justin releases his single Crime Your River off his Michael Jackson wannabe debut solo album. How fucking dare you? You are really going to defend Justin Timbo? Of course I am. Crimea
1: River was not as much of a definitive evolution of Justin Timberlake's sound from In Sync. It was certainly a sort of middle staging period, wasn't quite as much of a jumping off point as Future Sex Love Sounds or The 2020 Experience, but it's a solid album. How fucking dare you?
0: I have no I have no continued thoughts on this. The thing that's most interesting about this song to me is the fact that it fuels rumors that Britney cheated on him. The video features a lookalike and uh it 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 basically the video tells a story of like Justin Timberlake going into a house and trying to uh get emotional catharsis after his partner who the actor playing Britney looks like Britney Spears and in real life supposedly Britney Spears did cheat on him with the director of her music video, which I'm blanking on that guy's name, but he was a huge director at the time.
2: Of course, she and fucking him- cheated on him. She
1: didn't have a she didn't have a childhood. Every single decision, even before this conservatorship stuff that we're gonna t- talk about later, every aspect of her life is decided for her. Whatever reality the relationship is between Justin Timberlake and her, even if they really, actually, organically met and connected and wanted to be together, even in that context, it was still part of this whole fucking kayfabe of her career. It was still crafted, even if it was, even if they genuinely connected and genuinely had feelings for each other, it was still a part of this, like, track of, like, you fucking met this guy at the beginning of your career. You did this show. You met back up with him later on, touring. It's, like, part of your destiny. She's a, she's a, she's young. She's in her 20s at this point of like of course she did you know it's it's like maybe one of the only pure expressions of her own i self identity that she ever did yeah i i don't i don't condone infidelity but extenuating circumstances
0: i agree with everything you just said and in response to Crimea River Britney released a video for a song called Every Time which we are now going to watch so it opens with a shot of Britney in a fake movie poster and she's literally bound and she looks like she's like seething with sultry energy even though she's bound. And now we're in a a cab where she is with uh, the guy who played Deacon Frost in the Blade movie who I'm blanking on his name. What is his name, Andrew? Yeah, what is, what is, I'm blanking on his name too. Also that just looks like Anton We we Sigur. had a running gag about him in the office for like a year. Yeah,
1: it's just it's it's literally just yeah, we have that that movie poster. It's yeah. it's literally just I'm drawing a blank on it. The 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 uh, fear.net movie he was in.
0: The fuck? Yeah, and so it it opens with her like trying to get out of this limousine with her shitty boyfriend who's played by insert actor here and um and uh he he is like being unresponsive and unresponsive, and not treating her with the respect, and not there for her. And there's all these people who want things from her. And somebody, there's like paparazzi taking photos, and someone tries to grab her, and they kind of knock her to the side. And and then they they go up to this hotel room, and they're they're kind of arguing together about um, Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff. Yes, she's. That huge celebrity who
1: Britney Spears would date.
0: Yes, and they're they're fighting in their hotel room, and who, Stephen Dorff fifty. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Dorf is throwing things everywhere, and uh, Britney Spears is angry. And then we keep cutting in between that and a a white void, like a se- a room with a bunch of seamless, where she's staring into the camera. Um. And uh, the lyrics are about haunting and uh, forgiveness and weakness and pain, uh, which, you know.
1: I'd be more offended by being portrayed by Stephen Dorff than the infidelity.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so she touches the back of her head and she sees that it's bleeding. And uh, she goes to sleep in this tub and she drowns. And then Stephen Dorff is, is symbolism. like,
2: no.
0: And then, oh, now we cut to a white hallway that's backlit. And she's running towards us wearing an oversized white men's t-shirt and underwear. She's looking back at herself on a gurney um, where there's doctors and everything. Steven Steven Dorf is being a hero. He's shirtless and jumping into the tub with her, uh, rescuing her, hopefully going to save her. But he's too late. It's not enough. He can't do it. The dwarf wasn't enough.
1: The dwarf She didn't like is not like his dwarf.
0: He didn't have a big enough dork. So, she's, she's looking now, and, and now we're seeing that there's another woman that's giving birth in the hospital. Oh, and Brittany's running towards the light. Oh, that was a misdirect. She wasn't actually in the hospital the whole time. It was there's another person in the hospital giving birth, and The implication being that Britney is now being reborn in this child. So, but one, it, it continues the thread of sexy babiness. And two, it's weird because this is a song that's not... It's like the reverse of a diss track. It's like an apology track or like a, yeah, I admit that I cheated on you song, but like 10 years or 20 years before Lemonade. So it was... It's like this weird kind of almost like a defeated thing where she's just like, yeah, I did it because I was drowning. I'm sorry and that now I, I wanna...
2: cheated on you, so I'll get in the bath, but then I'll have a hole in my head and you'll try to save me, but I will die and I'll be reborn as a baby. Yeah, pretty much like
0: uh, and now this is i want you to know that i purposely put these lyrics in here because this no the is lyrics i just
1: said were the lyrics
0: <laughs> i i am making you now read all of these lyrics because oh, you I, made me read all of those i mean I, of lyrics. course
1: i knew that that's what this was i already knew that <laughs> i i like if you i was gonna say the same thing i was like and now <laughs> and now the tables have turned but yeah, jokes, I, I, on you, read. jokes on you, jokes on you, because I'll fucking read lyrics all day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are you going to read them, or are you going to do them to the melody? Are you going to sing them?
2: I may have made it rain, please. Like, uh,
1: I don't know. The, I, don't, I, <laughs> I would sing them. I don't but know I don't, the song.
0: I don't know the melody either. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, know
1: how the lyrics match up with the... Do,
2: do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah,
1: I don't, I don't know. What I was. forget. I forget the melody of the of the verse. I know that I I remember the chorus, but I don't think this is the chorus. I may have made it rain. Please forgive me. My weakness caused you pain, and this song's my sorry. At night, I pray that soon your face will fade away. And every time I try to fly, I fall. Without my wings, I feel so small. I guess I need you, baby. And every time I see you in my dreams, I see your face. You're haunting me. I guess I need you, baby.
0: So, one, the uh, I May Have Made It Rain is the weirdest way to make a double entendre about becoming aroused. That is super weird to me. Um, This whole song is really strange to me. (laughs) It's really weird. I don't know why they let her put this out. Like, even even just... One, it's a weird, it's kind of, it's not a great song and it's, it's a weird move for her career wise to be like, yes, I am the bad guy. Um, Like it should have been like, this move should have been more like, hey, we, I wanted, it was what you said. I wanted to assert myself and make a decision and I'm sorry that it hurt this person and they meant a lot to me, but I needed, I felt like I needed, I felt like I did what I needed to do in the moment to be who I am. And it sucks that this other person got in the way or this other person got hurt, but it's really weird. I may have made it rain. Please forgive me. Ugh, Ugh. That's gross.
1: Um. I also i i i always i find it really interesting how the like the weird like the 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 kayfabe of these these um these things that happen in 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 pop culture or the music industry where a music artist like this will make a song or make a music video that's kind of like about how their celebrity is like overwhelming or like how, like with all these, with all these sort of, with all this imagery showing them being like exploited by some like powers that be. And, you know, the whole thing with like her face is plastered on the billboard and she's, it's, it's, it's delivering this kind of like visual, um, symbolism of, of her being commodified and put into the limelight and how, kind of overwhelming it is and it's always really funny to me or it's well it's always really interesting or fascinating to me because it's like it's not it's it's kayfabe because it it is the 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 industry is putting out the song like it's not like she released this on some indie label after getting out of her horrible exploitative contract with like a huge major label it's the industry almost like allowing somebody to allowing somebody to pretend like they're making like an anti-consumerist statement, but it's just a part of the commodification of them.
0: So you mean like Drake's entire career?
1: Yeah. Well, it's just like the, in the, in the nineties, there was this, uh, in the, in the, in the era of like irony and, and, cynicism that was the like early to mid 90s coca-cola released a line of soda that was like it was called okay soda (laughs) and it was it was like the whole the whole marketing around it the whole concept around it was making fun of capitalism and being like oh we're so tired of stuff being marketed to us here's like a soda that just doesn't give a fuck okay soda was a soft drink Created by the Coca-Cola company in 1993 that courted the American Gen X demographic with unusual advertising tactics, including a neo-noir design, chain letters and deliberately negative publicity. The cans are just these blank cans that are like purposely don't have branding and they have these like just anti-capitalist messages on them. But it's the product is made by Coca-Cola like it's it's like this weird anti-capitalist kayfabe that companies and corporations do where they know that they can like tap into a certain demographic by playing into their sort of anti-capitalist narrative and uh, I, I think that happens in music a lot where you see these music videos where you know pop stars who've been in the limelight for a while are kind of like criticizing the music industry and but but it's still a song that's being produced and released by a huge major record label and they're just like oh yeah sure pretend like you're sticking it to the man we're gonna make millions of dollars
0: like that fucking pepsi ad with whichever one of the kardashians it was oh yeah exactly a exactly a pepsi to a police officer yeah, yeah that,
1: that's literally Fuck exactly that. what i'm talking about
0: yep in august of 2003 spears christina aguilera and madonna all made out at the VMAs. Weird how much her life revolves around the VMAs, isn't it? It's just not a cultural institution anymore, which is really fascinating. I mean, we were talking about this the other day that music videos don't exist, but the 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 fact that like basically this in this entire person's career was wrapped up in an awards show that has zero cultural value currently. Yeah, I I remember so fascinating.
1: I remember that. The VMAs used to, they they came on the night of, like, of the first day of summer vacation, and it was like a it was like I remember a specific one it was it was the year that Jack Black hosted the VMAs, and I remember that being like this really exciting thing, where I like school ended, I came home from school, and then that night the VMAs came on, and it was like ah the beginning of summer.
0: Like, and now it's, the VMAs are on, really? They still do that? <laughs> so basically, you know, they they do this publicity stunt where they sing Like a Virgin, and uh, with the three of them, and then they all make out on, on screen. And uh, most people don't remember that they, all three of them made out. Most people only remember Britney and Madonna um, because they cut away from what was happening when it started happening because they were like uh should we really be doing this uh I don't know and uh the next day the entire country just goes goes ape shit
2: um you know because homophobia Yeah, everyone's just and, like and, what and, women kissing but also not because that fucking tattoo
1: band was popular yeah like what the fuck yeah. what, what, what the fuck was going on in people's Minds and pants, both both then (laughs) and now.
0: What is what the fuck? Yeah, what's what's wrong with it with any of you? The fuck is going on? From here, she starts the process of recording her fourth studio record, In the Zone, which is released in November of two thousand three. This time, she takes control and writes more of it. Co-produces most of the album. The big single is Toxic.
1: Oh, you know, in your heart, I'm gonna play this song. I love that she's just a flight attendant from The Fifth Element.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just so not subtle. Like (laughs) the panty shot of her walking down the aisle, and her her spilling her spilling champagne on an old businessman, and then and then she like wipes it up, and he's like, "Oh,
1: different time we were living in, man." But
0: But doesn't she pull off his fucking face? She like yes oh he wasn't he wasn't a fat schlubby guy he was a hot guy but again it's hey you person you consume consume this music uh and being in britney's orbit makes you uh makes you a better a better person which is the myth of all capitalism right it's Money dictates everything. Oh, there's our boy, Tyson Beckford, shirtlessly driving that motorcycle on a green screen. They did it
1: before Kanye and, and Kim Kardashian.
0: Hell yeah, they did. I wish Britney and Tyson were the uh, Kim and Kanye of our culture. Bow. We'd be in a better spot. Yeah. Hey, Tyson, why don't you run for president instead of Kanye? Jesus. <laughs> but actually don't because you can't joke about that with anybody anymore.
1: He's, he listens to this and he's like oh, he's like uh, Goldie Williams in Back to the Future. He's like, President!
0: Yeah, I mean, you get it. You get the idea. It, it is oh, what it is. I'll listen to this
1: whole thing. Banger.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And unfortunately, here is where the wheels start to fall off. I forgot we were doing Up a podcast. This... <laughs> Up until this point, Brittany has had a fairly singular life. One goal, one mission. Or was it even her mission? Who knows? Who cares? It's about what she was doing. In January 2004, she got engaged to childhood friend Jason Alexander, which is a th- hilarious, right? That's his name. His name is Jason Allen Alexander. But it's it's so much better to picture all of these things that are happening. George is happy. Just like making- George is
2: getting married to Britney Spears.
0: George is happy. I love it. I love it, I love it. I love it so much. I can't believe no, one, no one's ever done that before. No one's ever put Jason Alexander and uh, Jason Alexander. I, I just I want it so badly. Um, but they get married in, in 2004 in January in, a, a, in Las Vegas at the Little White Chapel. Which is actually the name of the chapel, the Little White Chapel. The marriage was annulled fifty-five hours later, following a petition to a local court saying that Spears didn't understand her actions, which is just amazing. Like, what do you mean she didn't understand her actions? Like, she wasn't she she didn't understand the concept of marriage, or she was drunk, or maybe does she have severe mental health issues?
1: Well, it's it's telling either way. Getting you know, starting to tease the conversation in act two whether it's mental health thing or a controlling her life thing it's telling that that was the narrative because so many celebrities do these spur of the moment didn't think it through marriages and then they get them annulled but the you know they the 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 reasoning given is never usually she didn't understand her actions it's usually like oh you know it was They they were intoxicated. Like I think that's usually the thing that they say is like we were intoxicated and that's like a good enough excuse to get an annulment. So it's telling that with that simple solution or that simple excuse of just saying like, oh, they were drunk. Let's annul this. They went for this more like she can't make her own decisions. Like even back then at this time, they were already starting to push that narrative. So it's telling either way. It's, it's either telling of like, oh, what's going on? This is the beginning of this weird taking control of her life and actions, or it's early signs of some kind of mental health issues going on in her life.
0: Next up, she's about to or she she does give an interview to Access Hollywood. Um, and when asked about her mom, she gives the most depressing answer
1: I just love seeing you with
4: your mom so much and holding hands and magazines and stuff like that mm-hmm. how does your mom when when she knows that you're going through some things and and you know the things mm-hmm. that you've talked about that that have been tough which I think you've handled very well mm-hmm. but how does she how does she play as far as the support
0: she's amazing
4: she is awesome thanks mom huh yeah. okay this is the toughest question I'm gonna ask you anybody does want to know the answer to it. Ben or Brad?
2: <laughs> because you know what? You
4: told me, Ben. I did? Like you got emotional about your mom. I did. Now. Ew. That's stupid. Um, no, it's not. My mom is here, and I would be doing the same thing. is my mom gets me through everything, too, so you can just make me cry with you. <laughs> She's a good one, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Special. She, she got a good, good daughter. Yep. She got a good daughter.
0: Yeah. So basically, since you couldn't see that, When she's she's asked a fairly innocuous question about her mother's role, just like your mom's
2: great, right?
0: That's that's the extent of it. And she says, Yes, she's my mom's awesome, but even when she's saying my mom is great, her whole face contracts. Like the skin around her eyes and her nose just like tenses up. And she's just kind of nodding with this like weird forced smile. Yeah, she's using her and whole
1: body like, to nod. She's not. She's not bending yep. at her neck. It just feels very. I don't know if it feels
0: disingenuous and, or just. It. And then she when you know when she's like when my mom, you know I love my mom too, and you know when I think about the support she gives me, I I start to cry too. So I'll just cry with you. And then Brittany full on just starts crying, and it is not a. I'm so thankful for my mother. Cry. It is like a. Fuck all of this, cry. Yeah, like it. Is, I just feel so bad for her in that moment. Like it is just having to go through
1: the motions of this. These this bullshit line of questioning that's just so removed from whatever the reality of what what's going on in her life behind the scenes, which is
0: and, and you know like you said, like her and her mom become estranged, and so I I couldn't quite track down when they become estranged, but it's. Around this time when they start either drifting apart or have a big falling out or whatever happens, happens and they start to go their separate ways for an extended period of time.
1: Yeah. And once again, um, it's really fascinating how those things get telegraphed in our everyday actions. The, you know, the, the, the lack of self-awareness that people can have about how they telegraph their trauma and their neuroses in trying to make it tangible and then kill it basically – by the things that they do, uh, which, you know, I think rarely works. I think I I don't think that it's usually an effective method for processing trauma or, you know, getting through some kind of emotional hang up by just trying to make your life all about how you're not that. Shout out, Andrew WK. But, you know, the idea that Lynn Spears, her role in the narrative of Britney Spears, the way that she orbited that planet was we write these books about the the love and connection between a mother and her daughter. Here's the first one about how much we're how great our relationship is. Here's the sequel about how great our relationship is, and of all the people in her life, she specifically is the one where she's had this falling out with her, where she doesn't speak to her anymore. And you know, it's it's really fascinating, kind of sad that that was sort of telegraphed by like we literally are writing books about how great of a relationship we have.
0: My second book is called A Mother's Gift. My, my third book was going to be titled My Mother Will Never Leave Me or Betray Me or Has Ever Taken Advantage of Me or Used Me for My Money or Viewed Me as Anything Other Than a Child to Be Taken Care of and Protected. It was a long title, but they fit it on that dust jacket just fine.
1: My fourth book is titled My Mother Was Never in Any Way Complicit in My Father Horribly Exploiting Me for You Know the, the Majority of My Life
0: and Just Kind of Allowing It to Happen. Which, in a lot of ways, is kind of worse. So after the VMAs, Madonna and Britney start becoming friends. Britney gets into Kabbalah, and then July of 2014, Spears got engaged to the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, K K K K K K Fed. Dude, K Fed, K Fed. Kevin Earl Federline was born on March 21st, 1978, in, in Fresno, California. Of course, Federline he was born in Fresno. School.
1: Of course he was born in Fresno, California.
0: No shit, right? Federline dropped out of high school before working as a backup dancer for Michael Jackson, Justin Timberlake, and Destiny's Child. While he's only going to be a supporting character in this episode, his life is fairly bizarre and a singular one. He's worked as a rapper, fashion model, actor, reality TV show centerpiece, DJ, and wait for it, professional wrestler. He's he's the
1: Jared Leto. Of shitty background dudes.
0: Yep. He may have been a cultural laughingstock throughout the mid-2000s, but you gotta give it up to the guy. He's definitely tried to reinvent himself more than most public personalities. Does he still seem like a massive douche? Hell yes. But it also can't be overstated that the main reason why the country was collectively like, fuck this dude, when Britney started dating him, was the fact that it flew in direct opposition to the narrative that we've been being fed since she was a child? We've been being Britain k-fed good, fed since she was a child. We've been k-fed since she was a child.
1: But also, that's exactly that's exactly why she was with him. That mm-hmm. go, going back to that idea of how you know, if if Justin Timberlake is her is the her destiny, her betrothed. If that's Justin Timberlake, this guy is like. The opposite of that, the opposite of the expectation of who it, who she should be with. And, you know, that's obviously the reason why she was with him.
0: Brittany was a good girl who had a good head on her shoulders and was a restrained sexual time bomb. She was America's culture girl who got away. Kay Fed, he was not who we wanted the Queen of Pop to end up with. Pivoting from Justy Timbo to Kevi Fetty was a hard pill to swallow collectively. To make things even weirder, they had only known each other three months. And then they quickly signed a deal for a reality TV show, Britney and Kevin Chaotic.
2: Previously on Britney and Kevin Chaotic. When you're in the public eye, people think you're different. People think you're different. Truth is... I want what everyone wants. Love. My ideal guy would be somebody kind of sweet and nice and that loves me a lot. This is my journey.
0: This is my journey. This is our journey.
2: journey. Kevin, we have to ask you a question. How do you feel about marriage and commitment?
4: When I first saw him, like, what the heck does she see in this guy?
1: I don't want this punk around her.
2: Stop, y'all! No, stop!
1: But when he came into the picture, you could see the sparkle
0: in her eyes. (laughs) i think the other thing that 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 little clip crystallizes for me also is like you know going back to what you're saying about being on a being on a path and being on a arc and then trying to get off of that because you're like fuck this is this is hard to deal with something that we haven't talked about is the fact that she literally could have anything she wants she has endless amounts of money she could be with anyone but she chooses people who are kind of less than reputable or less than desirable from a cultural standpoint because they are in air quotes forbidden you know what i mean it's she she literally i mean i'm just thin slicing what you had said but it's she's she's taking the she's she's pursuing the only thing she can't have which is kind of uh you know a a a type of forbidden fruit you know a societal expectation It's that song Common People by Pulp. Yes, it absolutely. She was living out common people. that's That's the thing. That's the exact narrative. Obviously, reality shows are fake as all get out. But also, they've literally known each other for three months. And this feels so exploitative. Like someone is just trying to monetize their mistakes. They eventually had a wedding on September 18th, 2004. But didn't actually get married until October 6th because of a protracted prenuptial agreement negotiation. you think they celebrate the wedding anniversary on the actual wedding ceremony day or on the signing of the legal document day? A question that will linger throughout the ages.
1: I'd do it too with KFED. Gotta say.
0: No shit. No, no shit.
1: No judgment, no disrespect. Real recognize real. If I was getting married to KFED, the prenup would be a consideration.
0: Well, he does have six children. So, Yep. you know, February 2006 sees Brittany making headlines for a photo of her driving with her baby, Sean, on her lap as opposed to in a car seat. She said it happened because paparazzi spooked her and she panicked and just wanted to get out of there.
1: And I got to say that, you know, regardless of whatever truths or realities there are about any kind of perceived mental health issues, um, both because of this or any of the other sort of Events or things that happened, <clears throat> I can totally see that as a as much as I I, I am vehemently against the idea of uh, you know poor safety practice when it comes to kids in cars. You should never drive around with your kid not properly restrained in their seat, and you know you you need to be you know re- rear facing at the you know up until the certain right age, and then once they're old enough to turn around, they still have to be in the booster seat. All that stuff, totally a hundred percent. That's been my life for the last. Three years, but uh, I, I can see that idea. I can see the, the concept of like they're sitting in a car. She's the kids out of the seat. And then like the anxiety and the fear of these people like mob rushing you and just wanting to get the fuck out of there. Um, I remember I, we were on a road trip one time and I was I was parked at a we were in Texas and I was parked at the at a pump at a gas station and my wife. Uh, ran inside to get my wife (laughs) (laughs) i was waiting for it um my she went inside to get something and i was just sitting at the pump we had gotten the gas but then it was done and uh ephraim or sorry i don't know who who ephraim is uh jj the fourth was uh (laughs) he was out of the seat because he was really young at the time and so we took him out because he was freaking out and we were on a long road trip one of these one of these uh cross country road trips I mentioned earlier and I was just playing with him in the front seat and uh, I was just wasn't thinking about anything. I was just, we were sitting there and I was waiting for her to come back. And then this guy walked up, this just gruff Texan dude walked up and he like kind of gr- brisk, brusquely knocked on the window and I rolled it down and he said, and he said something like, "Um, you know, other people want to get gas too. And he kinda like gave me the mean gave me a mean mug. And I was just like really flustered. And he was parked behind me and he was like wanted to get into the pump and get gas. And I was just like, oh shit. And like I just was so flustered in the moment that I just like put the car into into drive and I drove around to the other side of the gas station and parked in a parking spot um with Ephraim in my lap, which, you know, you would never do that. But it was just this spur of the moment thing. I was like flustered, kind of freaked out by just this guy coming up and saying this to me. And I was caught off guard. Um, And I can't even imagine what it feels like to have a crowd of like, literally sometimes hundreds of people just like come after you and be shoving things in your face and screaming at you. I can't, I can't even imagine the, the feeling of being backed into a corner that you would feel in that moment. So I can totally yeah, understand I just agree. being like, fuck, and just like driving away with with your kid in your lap.
0: Yeah. September 2006 sees her give birth to her second child, Jaden. In November, she files for divorce from KFED. They agree to joint custody. She has some other public mishaps with the kids. Sean falls and bumps his head. She seems like she's on the verge of a breaking point, though. In an interview with Matt Lauer, she gets asked, what do you think would it take to get the paparazzi to leave you alone. And the headline on that picture was Oops Number Three.
4: Exactly. There'll be an oops hundred. There'll be plenty more oopses. I'm not perfect. I'm human.
1: What do you think it'll take to get the paparazzi to
2: leave you alone?
4: Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is that one of your biggest wishes?
3: (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. I would like for them to leave me alone.
2: If you could talk to them as individuals, not as a group, what would you say to
4: them? I would just say that you have babies at home and you have you have a wife and if you don't you have to realize that we're people
0: and that we need we just need privacy and we need our respect and, and those are things that you have to have as a human
2: and yet as upset as it makes you, you, you wouldn't trade your life now it seems I that seems strange for some people to understand if they're making you this miserable how can you still say but I'm lucky?
4: Because I have to believe
2: that I'm here for a reason. What's the reason?
4: I don't know. I keep searching every day just like you do.
0: What the fuck? It's so it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: and it's and you know it's 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 uh this sort of like almost like weirdly victim blaming narrative of like you know, why, why do you, you you say you wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, even though they make you so miserable. Like that makes no sense. People don't understand that. And it's like, like, really, you don't understand that? Like, it's not like, it's not the burden isn't on the burden of responsibility isn't on her. It's, it's not, Oh, like, because people choose to harass me and put me through this insane amount of public scrutiny. I should be the one to have to be like, I'm, Wish I was never a celebrity. Like, that, no, it, it, that's people should be able to pursue their dreams and do cool things and make stuff and pursue success without having to accept the reality. I mean, we we do, in, you know, in in the real world, we do have to accept that, but conceptually, that should not be the answer. We we, we shouldn't have to accept abuse and harassment and you know be burdened with this with this narrative like well that's the life you chose you chose to be a celebrity and this comes along with it like fuck that i mean it does it that's that is the harsh reality but it shouldn't be framed in this way of like well that's what that's your fault it's not it's not their fault it's the fault of this horrible machine that creates these people and then uses them as a piece of fuel for this uh, circus of scrutiny of of personas
0: in January of 2007 her aunt Sandra Bridges Covington dies in February she enters a drug rehabilitation facility for one day and then the following night she finds a pair of clippers at a Tarzana hair salon and shaves her head a paparazzi photo of her goes whatever the 2007 version of viral is it's just so sad. It's so sad that there wasn't enough of an, of an internet to break. But it, she, but it would have. She if she broke the magazine rack. Yeah, you know. I mean, this is a clip of her walking out of a, a convenience store and getting into a black uh, SUV. Yeah, it's just it, it just, it's it's just the public pressure on her. I don't think we I don't think we've seen something like this since where there was such an intense scrutiny put on one person and that person didn't have a support structure that was there for them and that person also may or may not have had some mental health issues and that person didn't have any sort of concrete or well-meaning friendships. Like, she, it seems like she really was alone mm-hmm. during all of this.
1: Yeah. Well, whenever, like, you're a, whenever you're a massive star from the time that you're like 15 or whatever, it's like, can you really ever fully know who's your actual friend or
0: not mm-hmm. yeah I mean this video continues and she basically goes around she shaves her head and then she goes to a tattoo parlor and gets a couple tattoos um, which again is just textbook acting out like it's nothing, it's nothing that's reinventing the wheel um, but man did it did it shake things up in 2007 when it happened yeah in October of two thousand seven, she lost physical custody of her children to Kevin Federline. The reasons why she lost them have not been made public.
1: You know, some shit's going down in your life if you lose custody of children to Kevin Federline.
0: Yeah, and the the answer to that is the way I worded that is a little confusing. She had partial vis- visitation, I think. I don't. Re- I'm I'm not remembering the research correctly now, but she basically lost it. They they had a disagreement. She took the kids, they had some court stuff happen, and then Federline's representatives showed up at her house and she refused to turn the kids back over because he had primary custody. And so then that sparked another court thing happening and she got all of her parental rights revoked, like uh, no visitation rights, no custody, nothing. Yeah, I mean, the
1: um, the joke about K-Fed, KFED aside, the way that the court system operates in terms of custody whenever a uh you know a, a a heterosexual marriage splits up between a, a man and a woman um, it's it's nearly impossible to get an outcome where the mother isn't given a majority of the custody and and you it, it's it's sort of by default that that is the assumed given and any other you know you you sort of have to work backwards from there towards like how much custody does the father get and and they'll and and you really you really have to go far out of your way in order to reverse that or or go in the other direction it's that's just that's just how it is you see situations all the time where it's kind of evident that the mother shouldn't have the custody and yet she's still given the custody because that's just such the default position of the court and also she's a massive celebrity which are constantly given special consideration and special preference in legal situations just by the sake of their their celebrity and Kevin Kevin Federline is just some dude who's like a background dancer so the fact that he was given primary custody like what the fuck happened what was going on
0: I agree. What the fuck was going on? I I have no additional insight into that other than to just be like, this doesn't add up. Like, this just doesn't make sense. In January of 2008, a few days after that incident, she was hospitalized after the police who arrived at the scene to mitigate the conflict between Federline's representatives and her noted that she seemed to be under the influence of some unknown substance. The next day, her visitation rights were suspended. Federline was given legal and physical custody completely. She was committed to a psychiatric ward at Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center and put under involuntary psychiatric hold. The court next placed her under temporary and later permanent conservatorship of her father James Jamie Spears and attorney Andrew Wallet, which is also that's just a made up cartoon. That's a character fucking made up person of a of a rich lawyer. I'm Andrew Wallet. They now have complete control of her assets. Britney Spears will spend the next 12 years of her life not in control of it. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts Pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts
1: Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod.
0: Act 2. A Gilded Cage. So the next logical question is who is James Jamie Spears? And the simple answer to that question is we don't know much about him. He appears to have the construction business dealings and worked as a building contractor. However, very little information about him is freely available on the internet. He's a mercurial figurehead, one that some people feel is controlling Britney's life like a puppeteer with cocktails of drugs, alcohol, and an army of lawyers with filed teeth looking to milk his daughter for all she's worth. Others think he's looking out for his daughter and her best interests as she's struggling with severe mental illness.
1: A court document that has been revealed in years since shows that on the initial filing for Britney's conservatorship, Her father claimed that one of the primary reasons for the filing was because she had dementia. Britney Spears' father, at least at a certain point, claimed she had dementia. Is there something we just don't know about her health? That the family hasn't chosen to reveal, or was this a lie? This detail is either a shocking revelation about Britney Spears, or a horrific signifier that someone is using
0: deception to control her. Around this time, she also starts doing voices. Hey,
3: excuse me, where's your friend? Oh,
4: and he's right here. No, not
3: that. Same. So we one? No. Oh, are you going to
2: f*** it up? Oh, my God. Would you please get f- out of the way? No, I'm scared you're going to drive off without me. Um, no, like, I just really, like, want to talk and just say, like, how nice our world is. Like, it is so nice. Like, I'm going to cry right now because, like, our world is so nice. No, it really is
0: because... Yeah, so you can tell by that that she's doing all these different voices. She's, like, speaking in a... British accent and like talking in a way that is not the normal way Britney Spears talks. And it it makes you wonder, is she acting out? Is she pretending for the sake of getting a reaction from people? Or is she actually having some sort of delusional episode where or, or is it she is she developing multiple personalities? I, I I've seen people saying both. Um and it it's kinda hard to tell. You know, Let's rewind back to 2008. (laughs) Britney's coming undone. She's spiraling out of control, but she's working on a comeback. She's trying to get her life in order. She wants to correct the public's perception of her, or does her father want that? Either way, as a damage control effort, she appears on a July 2008 episode of How I Met Your Mother, one month after all of this shit goes down. In July of 2008, she regains partial visitation rights to her children. December of 2008 sees Circus released, her sixth album. It's number one in Canada. Her star has waned, obviously, but she's still trying to work her way back to the top. Its single, Womanizer, becomes her first number one single since baby one more time. In January of 2009, she and her father obtain a restraining order against former manager Sam Lutfi, ex-boyfriend Adnan Ghalib, and attorney John Eardley, all of whom attempted to control Spears' financial assets according to court documents. She goes on tour in March of 09 for The Circus starring Britney Spears tour. It makes $131 million if you're curious as to why everybody's fucking trying to control her life
1: <laughs> at the same time a voicemail leaks of britney calling a lawyer in her ongoing behind-the-scenes attempt at ending the conservatorship
4: hi my name is britney spears um, i called you earlier um but i'm calling you because i just wanted to make sure Um, during the process of ending the conservatorship that um my father has threatened me several times that um you know he'll take my children away i just want to be guaranteed that yeah, everything will be fine with the process of um, you guys taking
0: care of everything and um, things are being the same as far as my um, custodial um, okay. Man, that's so sad. That's so fucking sad. I just want my kids back. God, that's so depressing. She releases more music. Her father controls everything. She releases more albums. Her father controls everything. She has a Vegas residency in 2014 titled Britney, Pieces of Me. And people kind of forget that she had this crazy, paranoid period and that she married KFeb.
1: Yeah, she came back in a big way and this all kind of got forgotten. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was the, it was the, it's Britney bitch period.
2: Mm hmm.
0: She becomes something of a nostalgia act. People who were in her prime demo are now in their 30s with disposable income and they want to see her sing Hit Me Baby one more time. She makes a lot of money and settles into what would appear to be a solid later stage career comfortably stacking up instagram followers cultivating a cross-generation platform fan base she's not an era defining talent anymore but she's definitely not a has-been and then 2018 happens and things begin to bubble up to the surface in a way that they hadn't before in january 2018 she releases her 24th perfume sunset fantasy which i included in here mostly because it's insane that Celebrities of this level have all of these ancillary revenue services or sources where, like, having 24 perfumes is someone's career. Like, that's somebody's whole life. But for Britney Spears, that's, like, just this small, weird vestigial organ on the side where it's just like, oh, yeah. And she has a mega successful 24-volume perfume set. You yeah.
1: Know? I mean, they get, she got to diversify her revenue stream because – you know, artists don't actually make any money from their albums, as outlined by Jay Letty in the Jared Leto episode. That whole that whole business model that he described. I mean, I was it's funny. I was watching a I was watching a Frank Zappa video, an interview with Frank Zappa um, for the Shags research, and he literally outlined back in the early '80s. He outlined the exact same thing. He was talking to a, a, an interviewer. And he gave the same exact speech that Jerry Leto gives in that documentary. So it's
0: always been like that, pretty much. But did he did he do it in the Jay Letty voice? He did actually. Yeah. Hey, you know, like some of these these record companies, they're just like doing all these things to us, and they're just like, I don't want to do the mambo, but like I should if it'll give me some more royalties on the back end. Let's do this. <laughs> if if somebody's listening to this and hasn't listened to that episode. That joke makes no sense. They don't
1: know about Andrew Dance Clay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't listened to the Jared Leto episode, Jared Leto uh, may or may not run a cult. And we did an episode all about it. You should look for it. It's like two or three episodes back in the, in the feed.
1: Don't be so insecure as to think that anybody listening to this hasn't listened to our entire catalog.
0: In October, it was announced that she'd have a second Vegas residency, Britney Domination, that would be set up at the Park MGM Park Theater. She was to be paid $500,000 per show, which would have made her the highest paid act on the Vegas Strip. However, on January 4th, 2019, she announced that the residency was canceled after her father, Jamie had a near-fatal colon rupture. A press release was issued stating that she wanted to spend more time with her family, so her team announced that they would suspend all work. However, some
1: believe that this was just the public-facing story. Later that year, after the residency was canceled, an anonymous person claiming to be a lawyer close to the situation leaked a voice memo to the public claiming that the real reason was that Jamie Spears found out that Brittany wasn't taking the cocktail of medications she was prescribed and that the cancellation was a punishment.
4: Hi there. Um i cannot disclose who i am um i just heard the latest episode you guys are onto something um i used to be a paralegal for an attorney that worked um with britney's conservatorship i'm no longer with them um and what is happening is disturbing to say the least so um basically Britney was in rehearsals for Domination. Uh, It came to Jamie's attention, Jamie Spears, that uh, Britney was not taking her medication as prescribed. Uh, She was was missing a lot of doses and just uh, full on not taking them. So uh, they got her to the doctor. The doctor said, okay, if you don't want these medications, let's get you on a new one. Well, she refused to take the new one so jamie said either you take this medication or the show's off and I'm, I'm i'm pulling my support and you can't do it um Brittany did not follow jamie's instructions and so he was true to his word he pulled the show he verbatim said blame it on my illness um, And that's when we get the early January Instagram.
1: I love how the person that made that video and transcribed that just didn't know what the word verbatim was. So in the transcription, it just said question mark, question mark, question mark.
0: dealing with the intellectual elite sometimes
1: on the internet. Also, I I just really, I have to, I want to preface or retroactively preface this video as well as some of these other videos. A lot of these leaked voicemails and some of these screenshots of, emails and things like that and just and just preface to say a lot of this stuff there's there's a huge cult of discussion that's going on around this whole thing now and we're getting into it but also a lot of this stuff can't really be verified and you know that that was a leaked voicemail or leaked voice recording from some person claiming to be a lawyer close to the situation, but. It was just. It could have been. It could have been anybody. That could have just been some guy.
0: Well, also, it wasn't a lawyer. That that recording is someone who claims to have been a paralegal. Okay, which is different than yeah. being a lawyer. Yeah, but I, it's still. It's supposedly that that voicemail is from somebody who worked at the law firm that was handling this stuff. Um, whether you believe it or not, mm, I don't know. That's up. That's up to the, you know, the the individual.
1: Yeah. So I just I just want to preface it to say like. We're not going to get into like, you know, presenting some of this speculation as if it's just fact. Um, We're really just presenting information and some of it is subjective. Some of it is unverified. Um, But ultimately, we're just trying to kind of report on these aspects and we'll certainly have opinions. But, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get off too far into the territory of like, you know, putting on tinfoil hats and being conspiracy theorists about it because you know some of these things slowly just slowly ki- takes yeah. <laughs> off
0: tinfoil hat i
1: definitely have i definitely have my opinion but i just i don't want to sit here and just present these things as a hundred percent real when that could have just been me i just yeah. recorded myself saying that and then put it on the internet and then it's just taken at face value and once again depending on whether or not these medications are proving life-saving for the state of britney's mental health or just a way to keep her docile and under control, this could either be interpreted as a genuine act of concern from a father or a spiteful act of retribution for
0: going against his will. In March 2019, co-conservator Andrew Wallet resigned and said, Substantial detriment, irreparable harm, and immediate danger will
1: result to the conservatee and her estate if the relief requested herein is not granted
0: on an ex parte basis. This sparks a popular Britney-themed podcast, Britney's Graham, to pick up the story and run with it. The hosts, Tess Baker and Barbara Gray, become convinced that Britney is being held against her will. I
1: realize that that's some confirmation bias going on there, but that's Tess Barker. Fuck.
0: Sorry.
4: And I also certainly hope that any individual who has any kind of an actual connection to the woman Britney Spears will be brave enough to speak out about what has actually been going on for over a decade. And if... And if I may add, and if I may add, any individual who feels that it's appropriate for Britney Spears to be in this situation, any individual who feels that Britney Spears does not have the wherewithal to do things like use a phone without permission or drive a car without permission, I would really wonder why they feel it's appropriate for her to be touring the world for the last three years and to have put out three huge albums and to have had a very successful Vegas residency.
1: Where's the line between the real concern and the kayfabe? You mean people who are performatively <clears throat> concerned because clout chasing? Not even clout chasing, but like their their podcast is all about tracking this and kind of being like, "What's going on?" and kind of kind of analyzing her posts and talking about this. And so obviously they're fans, and obviously there's some level of actual concern. Otherwise, why would they be talking about it? But it also, at a certain point after after their their podcast started to become popular it became part of their brand to like we're searching for the truth of britney spears yeah. so you've got them you know basically cutting a promo here and being like if you know like sitting there yelling at them at the microphone you know yeah we, where's the where's the line where's the line between like we are actually concerned for britney spears's health and well-being and just like this is our brand now we're the we're the conspiracy theorist people who think that Britney Spears is being held prisoner, and we're trying to free her. Um, I say that because uh, I I think we've both we've we've both listened to it, but there's a, a podcast about um, a man who was attempting to figure out why Richard Simmons became a recluse and why he sort of went from one day being this guy who was very social and out there and ran a ran a big aerobics class in 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 in, uh, Los Angeles and hundreds of people would come out and he would appear on podcasts and things like that and then one day he just sort of shut himself off stopped going outside stopped talking to people completely isolated himself from the rest of the world and there was this conspiracy theory Uh, around this concept that people in his life specifically his house his long-term housekeeper were basically keeping him prisoner and not letting him go out into the world and this podcast is sort of about that and the reason why this guy starts this podcast is because he was a friend with Richard Simmons and a a big motivation and why he did the podcast was was I think him trying to process the the grief and trying to get closure on this friendship of feeling like why is this person shut me out me specifically why did they why did they um, reject me it's got to be because they're being held prisoner I need to find out this truth and at the end of the podcast it kind of ends with this like ending of like, eh, he wasn't being held prisoner. He just decided he doesn't want to go out anymore. His dogs died and he, it really affected him. And he's getting older and I think he just decided he doesn't want to live his life like that anymore. And it, and it, And it's like it has this kind of like unsatisfying ending. I mean, it's not unsatisfying is a bad way to say it because you don't want it to be true that Richard Simmons is being held prisoner. But in terms of what the narrative thrust of the podcast is, it just kind of ends with like, oh, you know that whole podcast you just listened to? It actually wasn't that. It just it was just kind of a guy who didn't want to go out in the world anymore. Um, and so you know, the the whole thing just felt a little like number one a guy pr- trying to process being rejected. Um, but also just, I think at a certain point, in the podcast, I think maybe he started to kind of realize that there wasn't much more deep that he could go and that it really kind of wasn't what the conspiracy theory purported, but that at that point it had just become so much a part of his brand of like, I'm the guy who's trying to find the truth about Richard Simmons that he just kind of had to see it through. He had to just commit to it, despite the fact that it really wasn't the thing that, he was questioning if it was or not. And so, yeah, I wonder, I wonder, I mean, we're, we're going to get into speculation and and more details about this. And, you know, it's certainly up in the air about what the real truth is here, but what level of this is genuine concern, people genuinely believing that she's being held against her will. And what part of it is like, we all kind of committed to this thing. And we've kind of gotten some information that, maybe points to the fact that it's not that, and maybe she really does have some mental health issues that make it necessary for her to be under a conservatorship. But we've all just kind of allowed this to become our personality,
0: and so we just kind of have to commit to it now. That same month, Brittany purportedly was entered into a psychiatric facility to focus on self-care, in air quotes, amidst her father's illness, which just rings super false. Britney's Graham alleged that they got info from sources inside Britney's camp that she was being held there against her will. The growing camp of online sleuths operating
1: under the hashtag #FreeBritney banner were able to dig around and discover that the health facility she was staying at was very poorly reviewed on numerous medical facility review sites, receiving several one-star reviews from hundreds of former patients. One such review stated, Unethical. Illegal. Abusive. Trauma-inducing. I am a highly successful businesswoman who came here due to a divorce. I have been shamed, told I was too happy, and watched the staff lying around on couches laughing and eating at night while they thought everyone was sleeping. I am going to report them to the Department of Health in California. I, along with a friend I made here in similar circumstances, wish to shut this location down." The anonymous voicemail also claimed that Brittany had secretly been in the facility since mid-January. Shortly after the domination residency was canceled, and not mid March like she had claimed in social media posts, going on to speculate that she might not even have written the post herself.
4: Brittany has been in the um, in the mental facility since mid January. Um, of course, the, the the statement yesterday said she entered last week. That is not true. She's been in there since mid January.
0: This sparked many people to pay attention to the issue, to speak up, and to get the hashtag trending FreeBritney, which saw the support from many people, such as Miley Cyrus, Rose McGowan, Cher, and Paris Hilton, among many others. Some sources alleged that Britney was bipolar and that this had never formally been diagnosed. The general feeling was one of, yeah, I know she's had mental issues, but she can't own a phone or drive a car? Really? That doesn't seem right. Her former colleague and friend
3: posted this to his TikTok account.
1: I was wondering when TikTok was gonna get mentioned in an episode of Deep Cuts.
3: What's up, everybody? Uh, I've been seeing all the stuff about the Free Britney movement, and I feel compelled to say something about this now. Um, I used to work with Britney back in 2008 nine during her comeback my name's andrew gallery i was an in-house director and photographer for her so in that time we became close friends uh, we were on tour together spent every day together for you know a while um, and in that time she gave me a letter that she wanted me to read to you guys and i'm putting it right up here behind me because before i got a chance to read it to you guys the conservatorship took it and destroyed it so before they destroyed it i did make a copy so here it is after reading Kevin's article on People, I was amazed at how a lot of the focus was on Brittany, their mother, in order to sell a story for People. Mag- no one talks about these things because no one knows the truth. Her behavior when her children got taken away because of her locking herself in the bathroom is understandable. Considering her friend at the door kept telling her the cops are, are leaving. Stay in the bathroom. She was lied to and set up. Her children were taken away and she did spin out of control, which any mother would in those circumstances. Her next visit took a toll. As well, she wasn't listening to her manager. He lost control, so he wanted to scare her. Now, this year, Brittany has been silenced to speak about anything that's really going on. The people people controlling her life have made $3 million this year. If she speaks up, she is threatened. She would love for new eyes to see her situation, but if she brings it up, she's constantly threatened that the conservators will take her kids away. Uh, How long does this go on? As long as the people are getting paid and she has no rights, it could go on for a while.
0: But basically, it's a guy saying, I have this letter, supposedly, that Brittany wrote to me. Um, Whether she did or didn't, who knows? On April 22nd, 2019, fans held a protest outside of the West Hollywood City Hall.
1: Right after, on April 24th, several emails between Brittany, her staff, and her father from 2007, right before the conservatorship was put in place and right in the middle of her public mental health scare, were leaked to the press by a former employee, Sam Lufty who was mentioned earlier. These merely added more fire to the flame and also painted much more texture about the situation that led into the conservatorship.
0: Also, before before we read this, I just have to point out her email address is censored, but the last letter of it is blatantly an O, which means that Britney Spears has a Yahoo email account. Yep. Which is hilarious to me. Father, I just received your letter. You
1: talked a lot about love. I've had plenty of thoughts about everything in life lately, love included. I'm very angry, and I probably got a little carried away, telling you to go fuck a duck. But I do hate what has happened to me. I know you are my family and have every right to be concerned by my actions, but I still, to this day, feel like you guys went overboard by sending me away on a 16-hour flight that neither you or Mama really looked into. See, after my divorce, the biggest mistake I made was letting Larry walk into my hotel room. I worked with him for four years of my life, but things are different now. I don't want to ever go back to that time because I'm not the person anymore. I do feel he influenced me in some of my behavior patterns and it's really strange to have a manager send you to rehab who's the main one giving you drinks. He also knew I was getting rid of him the day before you guys have a plot to send me away. Kevin one minute says he had nothing to do with sending me there. Then the next minute he says I'm sorry. I didn't do it to hurt you. It's like everyone is full of shit. Then you give me your whole speech about all these people I should be calling and one lady getting a tattoo and all these things you people think will help. The worst part is Kevin given the authority to come to my fucking house with his mom so he planted weed with as a child they bring their hippie ass selves into my motherfucking home. I spent two years in building for his sorry ass and he takes my eight month year old and my one year old. Fuck that and fuck you too. Yes I have anger problems but it feels as though it's the only thing I can really own at this point. And my car. I'm sorry you feel I'm a joke and I'm a bad mother. Maybe one day I might just be good enough for you. But until then, keep sending me speeches about love. Oof. Yeah, it's interesting that like it started out as like an apology and like kind of being sort of diplomatic and just being like, these are the things that are happening to me and these are why I'm upset. And then it just slowly morphed into like, go fuck yourself.
0: This next one is... uh Dated Sunday, November 18th, 2007, time stamped 15, 40. Subject is, piece of me, video shoot. I am so sorry that you felt the need to go behind my back to my manager and ask if I'm ready. Next time, you can come to me directly. He even thought it was insulting and rude that I am a forgiving person, so let's focus on my upcoming video. And please do not go to Sam and tell him, he backstabbed you by telling me what you told him. At least, finally, someone has the balls to tell me everything that's going on behind my back so I can just get used to it. And like Sam said to you all on the phone, I will be taking charge of my career from now on. He doesn't want to be bothered with any of the artistic decisions because he is not an artist or a musician, but I am. And also, his taste in house decor is awful. So... I am designing the bedroom scene. He is not being lazy, he isn't Larry, he just wants to stop letting you all push me around and I agree with him, so it's time you listen to me. Every contract says Britney Spears for a reason, so I do not like that woman's idea for the video. That isn't who I am and I am just not going to do it. I made my own treatment. And I already talked to Wayne, and he loves it. Next one is Tuesday, the 10th of July, 2007. Gary,
1: since you are my lawyer, even though I don't know if you're really trying to protect me or not, but there is a crazy lady, Lou Taylor, that has been sending stuff to my house. How did she get my address, and why can't you stop her? I don't know her. She is a stalker. She is really terrifying me and my babies. If she knows where I live, then she can just show up here. She sent me a fucking pink hat, and she is writing letters like she is my mother. She has been stalking me since Malibu and it needs to stop because I don't have security and Sam refuses to stay over every night because he has a thousand uh dogs <laughs> because he has a thousand dogs to feed. <laughs> he has a thousand dogs to go feed and I have my babies in London and and she keeps saying I am possessed and that she needs to come and kill these spirits. I'm asking you for help. This gated community cannot or will not keep stalker mail from reaching my front door. The maid let the FedEx guy in, and that's how this hat got here. We told her a million times to leave me alone, and now she is saying she is going to visit my drunk fucking father in Kentwood. I don't care about him, but she could easily find my mother and hurt her. What am I supposed to do when Sam is not here? I'm scared. Can you call him and tell him how important it is that he needs to stay here every night because it's like no one is listening to me? and now she sent me pictures of her and a man and butterflies she's really crazy you care if i'm dead because i cannot sign your checks if i am your client Brittany jane spears
0: man that's just so dark yeah that's so dark two days later Brittany posted a video saying she was fine and appreciated the love and support from all of the people
2: hi guys just checking in with all of you who are concerned about me all is well my family has been going through a lot of stress and anxiety lately, so I just needed time to deal. But don't worry, I'll be back very soon.
1: Although the caption to the post on Instagram seems to be addressing the leaked emails directly, and many speculate that it might not have been written by Brittany herself, but rather her PR team attempting to do damage control. I wanted to say hi because things that are being said have just gotten out of control. Wow, there's rumors, death threats to my family and my team, and just so many crazy things being said. I'm trying to take a moment for myself, but everything that's happening is just making it harder for me. Don't believe everything you read and hear. These fake emails everywhere were created by Sam Lutfi years ago. I did not write them. He was pretending to be me and communicating with my team with a fake email address. My situation is unique, but I promise I'm doing what's best at this moment. You may not know this about me, but I am strong and stand up for what I want. In response to this, Sam Lutfi posted a statement on Twitter. Britney's Instagram post has accused me of fabricating emails of hers that have been circulating recently. I can unequivocally state that I have never wrote nor had access to her email. Her team's desperate attempt to deflect negative attention onto me, yet again, is a rather ineffective way to overshadow the free Britney movement. In addition to making certain people in her camp look bad, the email in question shows a woman capable of running her own life, a narrative they apparently want to hide. And I just have to stop and I have to finally say this. Because I've been wanting to, like, mention this. This is a little alienated for any of the people coming into this episode and just specifically wanting to hear this the Britney Spears story. It's kind of inside baseball for deep cuts. But this whole thing is just... It's like a real-life version of what Andrew W.K. was doing. Literally down to this idea of, like, the Steve Mike thing. These emails... They read like those rambling missives that Andrew W.K. was posting on his website that were like it was unclear if they were some woman that was working for him on his website team or if it was actually him or if it was Steve Mike secretly hacking into the website. And there was this ambiguity about it of like you don't know you didn't know who it was, if it was him doing kayfabe or if it was these real people actually doing these things. And it's the, it's like the same thing The the emails read like those, the fact that like she claims that this other guy actually wrote them and it wasn't her the way that she said, don't believe these emails, they were written by another person who hacked my email and was pretending to be me sounded exactly like that moment in the Andrew W.K messages where he was like don't believe this person Steve Mike is some something I used to call myself and now this person is
0: trying to make you think it's me it's so weird even even down to the like weird grammar and punctuation mistakes and typos yeah like it's exactly
1: like that and it's also Britney Spears is a combination of the WK stuff and then the shags she is like This weird amalgamation of those two stories where her life is playing out like this weird performance art that Andrew W.K. was doing. But then also she may or may not basically be being held prisoner for like a decade and forced to like do this music that she kind of doesn't seem like she wants to do anymore, at least in the form that they're kind of making her do it and then also it's and then it loops back over to the andrew wk thing of this idea of like somebody making music but being controlled and not being allowed to make the music that they want to make and being forced to make somebody else's vision of what music that they want her to make it's uncanny the the the
0: comparisons for more go listen to deep cuts andrew wk and the shags episodes Whoa. yep check them out
1: if this If this story is fascinating to you, there's two stories that bear striking and uncanny resemblances to this one.
0: Rumors that her father is keeping her drugged up swirl through the internet. A formal meeting was scheduled to hear both sides on the topic of the conservatorship on May 10th, 2019. Lynn Spears, who had become estranged from her daughter, attended the meeting with her. She lobbied to be not added to the conservatorship, but at least be made aware of what was happening with the conservatorship. Following the meeting, the courts declared that an investigation would be put forward. On September 3rd, 2019, Jamie Spears got into an altercation with Sean Preston, Brittany's 13-year-old son, where he became so irate that he knocked down a door, causing rumors of abuse to fly. Brittany sent her two sons to live with KFed, and a three-year restraining order was granted against Jamie. He would not be allowed to come within 250 feet of them. Currently, the conservatorship has been transferred from Jamie to Jody Montgomery for one year due to Jamie's health issues.
1: Who is Jody Montgomery? Well, she had been hired previous to this as Brittany's care manager, operating her day-to-day schedule when it comes to taking medications, budgeting expenses, planning your day, etc., She is also the co-owner of the Pasadena-based Pays Montgomery Fiduciary Firm, and has been operating for decades, handling over $33 million in personal funds by third-party trustees, meaning she's essentially a professional conservatorship manager. So she's essentially like hiring Gordon Ramsay to come in and overhaul your restaurant, but for conservatorships, lending even further to the narrative that Britney's life is being run like a corporation. An unsubstantiated, unconfirmed if it's true or not, please keep the tinfoil hats firmly on the table in front of you screenshot of a text message from an anonymous source that has been floating around the internet in the free Britney sphere says about Montgomery.
0: Jody Montgomery has a history of coercion against clients and putting people into conservatorships against their will. Teresa Jandowski, alleged defendants with Robert Risley, acted for their own... Profit and damage to the victims. In 2016, she signed papers while being unable to see them properly. Jody Pays Montgomery, without her consent, was named as an attorney at will, executor at will, and an agent for healthcare directive. She changed cities to get away from Montgomery. After Jandowski revoked Montgomery's services, Montgomery filed for conservatorship in 2017. However, this decision
1: for him to step down temporarily was put into motion right before the court investigation was set to commence, leading many to believe that, rather than the cited health issues, Jamie strategically stepped down so that his abuse allegations would not damage the validity of the conservatorship in the eyes of the court, which makes sense because it would seem that he might have stepped down in January at the height of his health crisis if that were actually the case. This all feeds into a larger narrative belief held by the Free Britney movement, ...that this conservatorship is essentially a business model. Brittany is run by a board of directors headed by her father. She is commodified and monetized, and everyone involved takes a salary. Through this conservatorship, the Britney camp has found a way to turn a human being into the purest definition of a product. Something they literally control. A resource to exploit endlessly until the mine eventually dries up. In this version of the story, Jamie stepping down was like a disgraced CEO relenting control of his company to a less controversial figure so that he can recede into the shadows and continue milking profit through back channels. After all, the conservator charged with assuming control was hired by Jamie and ostensibly works for him. Somebody who we haven't mentioned thus far is Britney Spears' business manager, Lou Taylor. There is a lot of stuff on the internet about how she is the one secretly controlling the situation, that she was the one that convinced Jamie Spears that he should file for the conservatorship, that she's the puppeteer pulling all these strings. There's even a theory that she started out as Britney Spears' super fan stalker, who spent several years of her life following Britney, slowly ingratiating herself into her life until she was able to finally become her manager. And she mentions it in that email that we read earlier, kind of referencing this stalker person named Lou Taylor. In March of 2020, Lou Taylor even ended up suing a Free Britney movement member for spreading several pieces of libel and slander about her online, and they settled out of court for an undisclosed amount in March. However... Other than that brief description, we will not go into that aspect because there's honestly no legitimate or substantial evidence to back up any of this, and the whole thing just distinctly feels like baseless conspiracy theory, and we do not want to amplify misinformation. We're only mentioning it so the hardcore hashtag Free heads know we actually did our research and didn't just overlook this aspect.
0: Most recently, the Free FreeBritney conspiracy has gained more credence when, after posting an Instagram post where someone commented, if you need help, Post flowers. And then the next post, Brittany posted flowers. Then in the comment thread on that post, someone commented, Brittany, if you're being held against your will, wear yellow in the next video. And then she posted this. So this is just her wearing a yellow top, walking back and forth, that she keeps walking in and out of the camera like uh, composition. It is so strange. Why does she keep just walking in and out. Like it's like a minute and a half of her just like walking in, smiling, walking off. Walking in, smiling, walking off. Like over and over again. It's so weird. It's it's very eerie.
1: Like the 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 imagery used in these some of these videos and the way that she acts and like that, like Poppy couldn't make this shit up. It feels like that. It feels like this purposely constructed, purposely kind of eerie and and like hinting at something darker type video content that we that we see from, you know, somebody like Poppy, somebody who's doing this like weird performance art, like narrative based persona content. There's there's definitely something going on there. Like I can't imagine Britney Spears unironically doing that and not realizing how kind of eerie and strange it is. She's going off camera and coming on camera like doing the same weird affected pose and like facial expression. Almost like she was trying to get, it was there like multiple takes where she's trying to get that one entrance, but then they just put them all into the video. So it has this weird, eerie hypnotic ...almost Lynchian vibe to it. Where she keeps going off camera... ...coming back on camera... ...doing the same repetitive... ...like... ...flip of her hair and smile. And it's so strange. And her her behavior in her general... ...in her videos in general is strange. Um... I, we'll watch... ...we'll watch a, a, a video that I put in here... ...after the ad break... ...but the way that she acts in videos... I mean, it feels like she's being held against her will because (laughs) because like Britney Spears is somebody who has been on stage, has been on in in front of a camera, has been in the limelight, has been performing for crowds and audiences for her entire life. And yet in her videos where she talks and addresses the camera that she posts on Instagram and stuff like that, she's like nervously rocking back and forth. And she seems like a little kid who has stage fright.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And all it's and it, it just gets creepier as she gets older, too, because her facial mannerisms are all built around these kind of like coquettish, cutesy little girl mannerisms. Her voice her voice and her vocal fry. Her like the real Britney Spears doesn't talk, like how she talks in interviews and stuff, where she's kinda like got the back of the voice thing like that like little girl voice the like sexy baby voice that's not what she actually sounds like but that's the personas the sexy baby thing and it just gets weirder and weirder as she gets older like what is she gonna be like a 75 year old woman talking in this this weird archaic sexy baby voice like
2: it's so bizarre yeah man it's
1: real weird so ultimately, the day this episode launches, which is Wednesday, July twenty second of twenty twenty, Brittany is set to appear in court to once again contest this conservatorship. Perhaps with the strength of the Free Brittany movement and the growing concern around the situation, the conservatorship might finally be dissolved.
0: Act 3, us talking about stuff for a little while.
1: Yeah, I wanted I wanted to quickly show you this video. There's, there's a lot of videos like this. Um, but kind of apropos of nothing, this doesn't really... This doesn't lend itself to the conspiracy or really have any significance to anything other than just being really odd. But a few months ago, and I remember when this happened, Britney Spears, like, burned her personal gym down on accident (laughs) and this was like this was like during the pandemic like this is this is since we've all been quarantining um i guess she accidentally burned her gym down so she posted a video on social media talking about this i I guess it's like it's i guess she did like workout videos or like short videos where she's like this is a this is a workout i do to work out my abs or whatever but then like she had to explain why she was no longer doing them in her personal gym and she had to basically explain that she burned it down and this is the video
2: hi guys i'm in my gym right now i haven't been in here for like six months because i burnt my gym down unfortunately um i had two candles and Yeah, one thing led to another, and I burn it down. So I'm in here, and I only have two pieces of equipment left, and I'm going to show you guys what I do during this.
1: She looks like she is being held at gunpoint.
0: Her body language, where she's, like, rocking back and forth nervously. You can can even hear it in her voice at one point, where she's kind of like, I'm going to show you. Because, like, you can tell internally she's, like, realizing that she sounds stupid because she burned her gym down, and, like, she feels ashamed of that. And like you can feel it in her voice that she's just like, I, I don't yeah, want to be talking about this. Yeah, she has like a
1: tremble in her voice.
0: I don't know, man. And a I lot guess,
1: and a lot of her videos are like that, where she's doing that rocking back and forth thing. She's got a she's got a tremble in her voice, like she's like choking back tears or choking back like embarrassment or something.
0: I guess that leads us to the big question. Andrew Price. Do you think Britney Spears is actually being held against her will? I th- I I think it's
1: some. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't- damn you,
0: damn you. That is literally <laughs> what I was gonna
1: say. Damn you. Yeah. Why are we the same person? I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that it's the full on conspiracy of like you know her 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 business manager who was like a stalker that somehow like ingratiated herself into the family and somehow became her business manager and her father and this woman all conspired to like enslave her basically and then turn her into like a a a, a resource to be milked for profit and controlled like an asset of a corporation, um, and that she's like slipping in all these coded messages into things. But I also don't think that it's fully just like she's having severe mental health issues, and her family is just genuinely trying to help her. And be it's all being misconstrued by the public, because um, I, because I, I kind of I. I, I, kinda, I I got to believe that they'd be a little bit more transparent about it if it was just genuinely that Um, maybe not at first as they tried to like have their personal privacy. But at the point where you're getting accused on the internet of like, like turning your daughter into a weird slave, like I would, I would come out and clarify some shit. Um, I, I feel like it's probably somewhere in the middle where I mean you i've I've said that half, so since we sort of both have the same thought, like you can go ahead and give your thought
0: i mean i just I just feel like it's there's too many weird dead ends or or question marks for it not to have some basis in mental illness mm-hmm. yeah like I think she's definitely being taken advantage of. I think that she's definitely being made to do things. I don't know if that fully counts as like, you can't leave the house or watch the TV or, you know, like, I don't know if it's prison, but she definitely is being taken advantage of by people. But also the combination of the video footage of her speaking in other accents of the court system, stripping her of parental rights. That's really hard to do. Like, that's not something that you just like, wake up as Jamie Spears and like this Machiavellian thing and are like, I'm going to get the grandchildren taken away and given to Kevin Federline? Like, that just that just does not happen. So whatever it was behind the scenes that got them removed from her has to be something legitimate. I don't know what it was, but there, something bad happened. And then the fact that she very visibly... And understandably buckled under the pressure of all of that attention. I mean, that's, I don't know that I wouldn't be, in air quotes, acting crazy if I couldn't go anywhere. Everyone was screaming at me, taking photos of me. Every decision I made was wrong. I could never measure up to people's expectations of me. My physical body was a commodity. If I gained weight, everyone shamed me, you know? Like, I... Mm -hmm. It's it's very telling, and you the can't two and things- you can
1: never get away from that. Like that that interviewer is like, "What does it take? What do you think it's going to take to get them to leave you alone?" And she says, "I don't know." The answer is, it will literally never stop. It's like it's like you you can't unring the bell once you've become that once you've become that figure, and and once you've sort of carved out that area in the public zeitgeist. Um, you you'll never get away from it. People will never stop swarming you and trying to get you to say what they want you to say and taking pictures of you. It will it will never stop. Like certain wanna... certain people at a level of celebrity can like fade and then people stop giving a shit about them. But when you're at Britney Spears level, the momentum of that it will follow you for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, she is American royalty now. Yeah. Like, period. Um, the one thing I just wanted to make, cause I don't know if I fully had said it is that it, I don't know that Britney Spears is a, I mean, obviously she's aware of the commoditization of her body, obviously, but I don't know if she would put it in those terms, but I think that it is deeply telling that the two things that she did as an act of rebellion were, I'm going to shave my head, which is a, a way of jettisoning a cisgendered idea of heteronormative beauty. Yeah, I mean there's you know? a, there's a, there's a friends episode about like, oh, you dated a bald girl? Yeah. So, there's that and then she got a tattoo which is my body is the canvas <laughs> literally. Those two ways of asserting your personality are so telling as to the behind the you know the 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 rest of the iceberg beneath the 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 tip um that we we can see the crest that we are we're all able to observe. And I think that her situation like this, I don't know that there's ever been a person that is this famous who has continued to stay in the public eye. There are a lot of people that have had mental health problems or done things and been put in prison or had sort of bizarre stories surround them. But I don't know that there's been anybody that has had a story this bizarre that is this famous. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and like oddly... It's gone on. To the, it's flown under the radar for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, for a long time. Yeah,
1: like I, I, I've known about this for a while. I've known about this for.
0: You were in the court in 2012. Yeah, when they, or in 2008. You were the bailiff.
1: I was the guy who leaked those emails.
0: You're like the Doogie Hauser of bailiffs.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I, I, I've known about this for a while, but I don't even remember how I found out about this. But at any rate. When I found out about this, it was still just this thing that nobody knew about and was just like talked about in like the dark corners of the Internet. And it's weird that it's been going on for a, over a decade at this point, And it's only just now starting to be talked about in, in the grander context of, of discourse.
0: And I know that we already kind of made this disclaimer, but I want to just drill down into this, too is that all of the facts that are that suppose her uh, alleged abuse they're all very easy to fake. Mhm. Yeah. Emails super easy to fake. Voicemails from unknown people very easy to fake. The couple Britney Spears memo voice memo y whatever those seem legitimate to me but also pretty easy to fake.
1: Like Yeah, and in in the emails One of the emails is her talking about this is setting up this story of the Lou Taylor character and how she was a stalker, which is like that that feels not real. That feels like a total kayfabe thing, building up this retroactively creating this narrative that her business manager used to be this stalker, like single white female character that like
0: because it's not asserted herself into her life yeah, it's not grandiose or exciting enough for the storyline to be people got next to all of this money, realized that the person who was in control of it was weak, and then slowly started siphoning it off. That story is not exciting enough. We want the daytime soap opera version of the story, which is evil stalker ingratiates itself into the family and abuses the system at every conceivable level. Yeah, like I said, it. Parts, parts of this just ring super false or the narratives that are put forward are just so, so easily fabricated that I just can't really believe that it's true. But then there's also other parts of it, which is the telling, you know, the perfect mark of a good conspiracy theory is it, it holds up just enough, but also has just enough weak spots that you can kind of like skirt the details of, um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating and I I I I think the really the the end for me the like takeaway from this for me is that we all failed Britney Spears. Like not 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 even who gives a shit about the conservatorship or any of the money or any of this stuff, but we as a culture took her and just completely wrecked her life, exploited her for our various titillation, fetishization, emotional needs, whatever they were. And we turned this person who may or may not have mental health issues into like a full-on product. Like it's, cr- it's, it's really, really. Yeah and then, uh, and then the mom- to
1: me. And then the moment that she stopped fitting into the template of what we expected, then we were like, "You're fucking crazy. You've lost your mind. You're having a meltdown." Like, whoa, she shaved her head. Like she's fucking nuts, everybody." there there was a there was um
0: i'm not 100% sure i want to fuck her if she doesn't have long blonde hair what does this mean for me
1: yeah peter peter Bogdanovich ta- tells a story about um after after he had made his first three movies which were highly successful um and then he had the affair with Sybil, Sybil shepherd and left his wife for her and up until this point, he was kind of a wonderkind. It was like, oh, this this young director comes out of nowhere, and he makes these three, you know, hits in a row. Yeah, he made he made uh, Last Picture Show, What's Up Doc, <laughs> and Paper Moon, which were all highly successful. He leaves his wife for Sybil Shepherd, who was the star of Last Picture Show. Um, the only reason why she wasn't in his follow-up film after that Paper Moon is because his wife had this rule that she wasn't allowed to be on set and um but then they but then he left her and they started you know just fully be together they would go out in public together they moved in together and he put out another movie with her it was a flop and then suddenly he went from being like this wunderkind uh you know revered as this up-and-comer who was doing great things to suddenly being this Villain, it was like you know they would be written up in tabloids and and be like you know look at these these uh you know gall- adulterous yeah, lechers gallivanting across town with their smug looks on their faces and and you know dressed in their smart you know expensive clothes that you know the normal person can't afford and you know. Enjoying the the excesses of life and just you know raked over the coals and scrutinized in 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 tabloids and in film reviews and things like that, and um, you know according to according to him you know no 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 you, you can't know if something like this is true or just like a story that he's made up but according to him Clark Gable called him one day and was like Peter you you have to stop. Showing the world that you're happy. People hate happy people, and and Peter was just like, I, I thought people loved a lover. They loved a, uh, like the happiness. And he's like, No, people hate happy people. They'll do whatever they can to destroy them. And that's what it, that's that's the thing. It's like this weird cycle relationship that we have with celebrities, where we love to see the underdog. Rise to fame and power and glory. We love to see somebody that feels like they're us achieving the ultimate validation of existence. But the moment that they achieve it and they become it, then they are the other. They're no longer somebody like us who fought and worked hard and achieved this success in a way that we could achieve if, you know, if we. If we worked hard, we sort of project ourselves into that narrative. But the moment that they achieve it, then they aren't us anymore. They are the other person. They are the rich, successful person that we can't be. Because at the end of the day, when we've sort of taken ourselves out of that projection, we aren't that. Whenever they were up and coming, whenever they were the underdog, we could. It was realistic that maybe we could be like that someday. It's attainable. But once they are that, once you're Britney Spears, I'm not going to ever be fucking Britney Spears. I'm just a normal ass person working at fucking Jolly Cone or whatever, scooping ice cream cones. So then we hate them and then we want to see them fail. And it's like this. It's like a roller coaster where you're getting up to the top and it's the excitement and the and the and, you know, the the good feelings of about to have a thrill and then after that it's this down downward spiral where you reach the top and then uh you just you want to see the failure you want to you you, you want to see an underdog like you achieve success and you want to see a successful person fail because if i can't be happy and if i can't experience that success then i don't want i want to see somebody else lose that happiness and lose that success so i can feel like you know my I have control over my life and that I'm not wasting it. Um, and, yeah, th- you know, that's that's what happened, I think, with with Britney Spears. She she became, you know, she became the pinnacle of the successful person that we all wanted her to be as this like, you know, country girl from a small town trailer park or whatever. But then whenever she was Britney Spears, um, you know, we wanted her to just fail. And crash and burn and enjoy the schadenfreude of seeing her, you know, go through her very public mental health crisis. And I also feel like it's very... I feel like the the reason why these, you know, in as far as whatever the reality of the situation is, I think there's definitely a lot of aspects of this whole narrative that are basically people cooking up conspiracy theories... With either very thin evidence or no evidence at all, people literally just making up things. Um, and it, it some of the some of the aspects of the Free Britney movement kind of remind me of any other cons- conspiracy theory that's out there. Um, they all they all have commonalities, uh, you know, between this and a lot of the conspiracy theories about things going on in the wealthy elite and conspiracy theories about uh you know covid-19 and all these things they all they all have commonalities and it's all people who have been so disenfranchised with mainstream information delivery systems that by default they don't believe or trust anything said to them by any information source And they only believe things if they are the opposite of what is being told to them by the mainstream media source or information delivery source. So, you know, these things aren't, these things aren't, these things that they believe that, you know, they have no basis at all. They have no information backing them up. They're really just a bunch of people talking about things, but they believe them because they are the opposite of what is being said by these sources of information. And it all dovetails pretty effectively back into the thing that we wrapped up the Andrew W.K. episode with this idea of the death of authenticity and the fact that through this cycling of celebrity this churning of celebrity the you know the rise of of things like reality television and the rise of the of the you know manufactured persona of celebrity we've all just lost faith in trusting anything said to us at any given moment. And in that vacuum of trust, um, we're only left to invent stories that number one are just kind of the opposite of whatever is being told to us. And number two are just kind of a coping mechanism with accepting a chaotic world. And that's what this feels like. This feels like there's nothing cut and dry about this. Um, Britney Spears probably has some really troubling mental health issues that she's gone through because of this life that she's lived and this process that has been forced upon her and she's been put through by her parents, by the music industry, by us. Um, And then it also seems like her family, her dad specifically, and her business entity is also trying to take advantage of her in a lot of ways. Um, but it's hard to accept that narrative that's a little bit chaotic, feels like it's something you can't quite control. It's not cut and dry in a way where there's no there's no there's no version of that story where you could end it, where you could save her. But you can save her from evil, shadowy figures controlling her from behind the scenes. And I think that's why people grasp onto those conspiracy theories because they make the world feel like it. They make problems feel like they can be solved.
0: I'm Dave Baker.
1: And I'm Andrew Price.
0: This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me online at heydavebaker.com. Andrew, where can they find you?
1: You can find me uh, drowning in a bathtub and then being reborn as a baby. And you can also find me at dapricerights.com.